places you must go and the things you must see, my stars. And I'll bet you meet a lot of interesting people, too. I'm always interested in meeting interesting people. Now let's dip our patties in the water. listening to so much pingle the podcast about herpetology field herping and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles join us each week as mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet and now bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone here's your host mike pingleton Hi everyone and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 28. And now we're just a few days before the Christmas holiday and I hope you all remain safe and healthy. And just to let you know, the show will be on a short hiatus for the next two weeks. And then we'll be back with another episode just after the first of the year. Uh, not that I will be kicking back with the eggnog and roasting chestnuts at an open fire and all that stuff. Uh, I've still got episodes to edit, and uh, I've got some interviews scheduled for the time away. And uh, anyway, I don't like eggnog. And now it's time to give a shout-out to our new Patreoners. Michael Moffat, Andy O'Connor, Jake Scott, Deb Crone, Dwayne McDermott, and John Sullivan. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. And folks, if you'd like to contribute a few bucks to keep the show rolling, uh, just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle, all one word. And uh, thanks in advance for that. So now let's get to our episode. Now, I got a lot of positive feedback on the first origin stories episode way back when. And so I started collecting another round of interviews uh, beginning last May. And these origin vignettes have changed somewhat over time. Uh, Of course, you know, I enjoy hearing how people came to be interested in amphibians and reptiles. And as you know, everyone has a a different vector to get here. Uh, But, you know, there's so much to talk about and people are just so darn interesting. And these interviews just have gotten much longer as we went along. Uh, But I'm sure no one is complaining about that. Uh, So thank you, Ryan Borgman, Marissa Ishimatsu, Josh Ems, Kamel Shapansky, and Deb Crone. I really enjoyed talking with all of you. And uh, so let's share them with uh, everyone else now. Hi, everyone. I'm in eastern Colorado, and I'm here talking today with Ryan Borgman. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hi, Mike. We're talking with Ryan today as part of our ongoing origin story series. And we want to get your origin story, Ryan. And uh, I should mention that uh, we're out here as part of the Co-Park Herp Survey. Uh, and uh, Co-Park, I've mentioned before, Colorado Partners in Amphibians and Reptile Conservation. And we're out here in the Comanche National Grasslands and having a pretty good time. And you brought your daughter. I Cam- did. Cambria. Yep. And she is almost four years old. Yeah, this is her first big herp trip, and we're uh, she's pretty excited. 
She got to see her first rattlesnake today, which she has been talking about nonstop all day. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Can't, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? It does not, especially when she's excited. It makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. I got a jacket. I'm going to show for Okay. <laughs> so thanks for coming on and, and talking to me about it. And I just want to find out and and other people want to find out apparently <laughs> how it is you got involved with it in the world of amphibians and reptiles. Oh man. Well, I got the my first snake encounter was my dad hitting a plains garter snake with the lawnmower. Oh. And I was probably 5 or 6 and I asked him what kind it was and he had no idea. So after that, I started to get my own snake books from the book fairs at schools and started learning what I could. Uh, and then a couple years later, I caught my first Woodhouse's toad at my grandparents. Um, his name was Toadstool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I kept him for about two years. Uh, oh, nice. And that kind of opened up everything. And then I started catching everything I could. My mom said no snakes or spiders in the house, but I could keep whatever else I wanted. Okay. Fair game. A fair game, yeah. And where did you live then? Uh, I was. I'm born and raised here in Colorado, okay. um, out just outside of Boulder, uh, in okay. a little town called Longmont. Very good. I'm yeah. familiar with Longmont. <laughs> so that's how you got your start. And then, when did you start hanging out with other herpers and and uh, you know looking at this a little deeper? Uh, so in high school, my best friend and I we spent every summer walking up and down creeks, catching everything we could. Uh, but that was the extent of my community. It was just him and I, uh, it's kind of back before we had internet and I didn't, I, re I, I didn't, remember. didn't know anybody else that liked snakes other than him. So yeah. him and I, uh, kind of separated after high school and then, uh, uh, I, we can edit out the part where you ate the bug. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> um, I say that, but I'll probably leave it in. <laughs> in 2017, I got I got involved, started getting involved with Copark, um, and through Copark, I found a volunteer opportunity with uh, Joe Ehrenberger of Adaptation Environmental Services. And so let, let's you, you're not uh, you're not involved with amphibians and reptiles professionally. No, it's always right. been a hobby. Right. Um, I after high school, I thought about going to school and. To one year of community college and said, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't well, do that. You know, there are many paths <laughs> yes. in life. So, and so, but this is just sort of your, your sideline interest and you, you joined up with Copark and, and went on field trips and things and surveys and. I started and, doing a few surveys with them. Um, and then I got involved in a rattlesnake tracking project for Jefferson County. Is that um, through Joe? Yeah, Aaron that Berger? was with okay. Joe. And that opened up my eyes to the prairie rattlesnake. Okay. And this is, I worked two years with him on um, two different uh, Viridis projects, tracking uh, with radio telemetry, tracking and uh, getting data on how they move across certain parks in Jefferson County. And then that kind of spurred me on to get more involved and do do more fun things. Okay. And, and so my secret dossier on you <laughs> says that you really learned a lot about prairie rattlesnakes. You really know quite a bit about them 
from these experiences. Is that uh, yes, yes? <laughs> <laughs> I I've always considered myself more of a lizard guy, but after that volunteer opportunity, prairie rattlesnakes has just consumed my <laughs> my mind. Yeah. Um, so you got to you spent time tracking. Every day you would go out and help, or so often you would go out and help track, radio track these things yep. to where they were. Two days a week, we'd go out and spend four to six hours tracking 20 snakes and just seeing how they moved across the mountain, where they like to hang out. Um, I think this this is a, to me, this is a, an important thing because I spent a small amount of time radio tracking timber rattlesnakes. Oh, okay. And it was enough time for me to see them in on their home ground doing their thing. Normally when I see timber rattlesnakes, they were in transit, right? They're coming out of hibernation. They're going into hibernation. You know, they usually that's where I see the bulk of them, but that experience was those guys on their ground doing their thing irregardless of regardless of what we were doing. And I guess that's sort of the same thing for you, right? You got to to see the little slice of prairie rattlesnake life every day. Yes, and it was it was awesome. Um, it was fantastic. I got to, I got to an appreciation of being able to see prey rattlesnakes in situ, rather than defensive and in that that traditional rattlesnake pose. Right, and, and, and for those of you not out there who aren't really familiar with Crotalus virus, <laughs> the prairie rattlesnake, they are crabby dudes. They are crabby rattlesnakes. They are very irritable. <laughs> Yes, and they they don't give you that opportunity to see them in situ very often. So every every once in a while, when you get the opportunity, it's it's pretty cool. So they don't. When we were tracking, there was times where we could be standing directly over top of them. I've had Veritas underneath my feet, didn't know they were there. So they don't they don't want to be defensive. No, not at all. But as soon as like if I stopped too long, they would pop up and let me know they were there and. I, I had to change my pants a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when you're that close and you didn't know you were. Yes. But I'm sure with, you know, working for Joe, everything was done with gators and uh, very safe conduct. As, Absolutely. As Safety was is sure. always the first priority when it comes to any sort of rattlesnake. Right. Um, but it was very emphasized with mm-hmm. with Joe and his crew. Did you do any other? Uh, and so I uh, before I get to this. Maybe you know a little bit about this. Um, at the co-park meeting last February, I attended that meeting, as you know, and someone there was talking about venom components in prairie rattlesnakes and how the uh, eastern slopes or eastern floor of the Rockies, the prairie rattlesnakes there, you have a, a, a northern contingent and a southern contingent with two di- very different uh, types of venom uh, components. They're, you know, not... Chemically different, and I guess genetically different as well. And that area is sort of a collision zone for that. What can you tell us about that? Oh, man. So I I know Steve Maxey's lab at UNC has been doing some fantastic work on venom of the prairie rattlesnake. Um, And Kara does a wonderful job. That's her her baby. Um, Kara. Kara. I think it's Smith. (laughs) Kara Smith. Yeah. Um, I am not very... I'm not strong in the technical aspect uh-huh. of venom science. Right. Uh, but that is, I learned about that uh, a year and a half before that 
that Copark meeting, uh-huh. and it it blew my mind. Like I I hadn't thought about that. I'd seen them in both the northern and the southern portions, but hadn't even considered the the idea that they're eating two different types of prey items, and for that they need two different types of venom. Hmm. And so, and they're eating two different types of prey items because there's some uh, some historical habitat differences between the northern populations and the southern populations. Yep. So they're eating different different rodents, I assume. Different rodents and I think I think it's the ones on the north have more I'm I'm sure I'm gonna get yelled at for us, but <laughs> I think they eat more lizards as well. Um, okay. So they say they have a little bit bigger variety. But it's really the the field work where you've learned a lot about them. Yeah. I, you, I really like the ecology. I like to see their their natural behavior and being able to photograph those moments and show people that, you know, the the traditional prairie rattlesnake that everybody's like, Oh, they're so jumpy. If you handle, if you, if you work with them appropriately, they are, they're beautiful. Yes. They are, in my opinion, they're one of the most underappreciated rattlesnake species in, in, in any range. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've enjoyed the ones I've encountered, uh, especially some of the ones like in the Four Corners area. There, yeah, some real beautiful prairie rattlesnakes over there, and all kinds of crazy mixtures going on over there too. The color variation, even in the the from the study we did, I had we had twenty snakes, and every single one of them looked completely different. And that, so the traditional like the green prairie doesn't hold hold. Hold up. Yeah. I mean, I one of my favorite ones I found was in Boulder County, and it was completely tan and white. Oh, wow. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and so over the course of all this work you did in the field, I think I know the answer to this, but did this really impact your ability to find them? Um, you know, did you develop this sense of – a better sense of the habitat that they – use i like to th- i like to think i i know a little bit more than <laughs> the average <laughs> herper and I, th- I feel like i can generally find them a little bit easier okay um but yeah they, i mean that once you once you start understanding like where they like to set up for ambush and when they set up for ambush they are always going to have an escape route which is <laughs> i took a friend out to photograph prairie rattlesnakes and i we found one of one of my girls she was sitting there in ambush Head pointed out, he decided he wanted to get a photograph directly in front of her. I was like, just so you know, her escape route is directly, her head is pointing where she wants to go if she needs to flee. So she's coming for your crotch. Oh my. And lo and behold, about 30 seconds later, she shot up out of there and came straight towards him. Oh my. And I chalked that up to the old wives tale of snakes chase people. Yes. It's not so much that they're chasing you but you're in the way of their escape route. Yes. And she proved it firsthand. He was able to see it and was pretty impressed that that was... He learned something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen the same behavior in racers. Okay, yeah. You know, where racers know exactly where to go. Yep. And if they can get there before you, you won't get them. Yeah. Absolutely. They already know. They know where they're at spatially in reference to some place of safety or... Some refuge or some avenue of, like you say, avenue of escape. So. Yep. Well, that's all very well and good. And and do you have plans to help with future projects in the field? Or? I'm hoping to. Yeah. I w- I want to continue to stay involved, even if it's not, even if it's not with an actual organization. Like mm-hmm. I want to be able to 
because at this point, all of the snakes I've worked with have all been on study projects. Mm -hmm. So I'm not technically allowed to go mess with them because sure. they, they're, we no longer have the scientific permit for it. Right. So I'm in the process of developing my own, my own dens, my own little honey hole of, of viridus mm. in my home. Okay. Um, in your but, own territory. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that I can continue though, working with, uh, adaptation or somebody else on yeah. more viridus okay. work. They're, they're wonderful. And even if I can't, I've, I've started a photo project for rattlesnakes with a heavy emphasis on yeah, prairie before rattlesnakes. Before we get to that too, uh, we're talking here because you're out here with Copark. And so this is you giving your time to help survey this area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you know, there's lots of other people here doing the same thing. So it's all part of that, uh, the herping community giving back. And of course, not everybody out here is a biologist. In fact, I think maybe we only have one biologist. Yeah, I think you're right. So we have a lot of people just out here, um, and they're under permits and they're using uh, guidelines and they're, you know, following protocols for what they find and how they report it and that sort of thing. So, yep. so it's, it says a lot about you and the other people out here who, you know, volunteer their time. And of course, you're having fun at the same time. So it's it's not like it's terrible, even though it got <laughs> to be 100 degrees today. It was a little toasty. Uh, yeah. So tell me about your, your photography. So one of the things, one of the ways I decided that if I wasn't going to go to school, I wanted to be able to give back to these animals that get misrepresented. Um, so I picked up photography. I I grew up watching, you know, Wild America and eventually Steve Irwin and all that. But right. Wild America was where my heart lied. Being able to document, see these beautiful shots, like that is what I wanted to do. And I wanted to take it in a direction that the average person doesn't get to see. Um, so I, like I said, I, I've started the beauty of the misunderstood, which is all, all rattlesnakes with a heavy emphasis on prairies. So is that a, what do you call it? A photo pro a photography project? <laughs> yeah. A photo project, photography project. Yeah. Um, I've just started collecting the images. Uh, and two years ago I started doing just like 40 page small books. Yes. Um, and just as a nice way of collecting everything, putting it into one spot and being able to give somebody something that they can physically hold and look through and hopefully see the pictures that don't emulate fear. Well, like today, we, we came across a prairie rattlesnake and it, it did the rattlesnake thing. It, it coiled up and it buzzed and everybody likes to get that photography, that photograph. Um, but it, that's there's much more to it than that. Is that is that what you're aiming at? Absolutely. There there's so much more that that we don't know about rattlesnakes in general. And if the only picture that people see is one in the traditional S pose, defensive rattling, looking intimidating, that's that's highly misrepresentative of what these beautiful creatures actually are. Right. That that's just that's the end result of a chance encounter. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't encapsulate the animal at all. Yep. My, eventually, it would be nice to be able to add, you know, vultures and maybe even spiders into that mm. misunderstood category. But for now, my passion is <laughs> rattlesnakes, and that's where I'm going to focus. <laughs> but I, I sense another direction coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, and in terms of... You've herped around Colorado quite a bit, but 
you're also doing herp trips elsewhere. Uh, you and I met for the first time on Snake Road, which yep. is where I meet everyone. Of course. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Uh, but there it is. But yeah, you and uh, uh, Hunter, Hunter Johnson came came out and uh, and uh, it was fun to hang out with you guys. Absolutely. You were kind enough to give be our personal guide for the weekend. Yeah, yeah it was fun. It was I had a blast. Got to know you guys. And yeah. <clears throat> that was good. And then um, you also came to Peru. This past January, and I'm sure you had a good time there. That was incredible. <laughs> so uh, you, does that sort of open your mind to maybe do some more herp travel and some more herp things in other places? Absolutely. I want to go back to Peru so bad. <laughs> it, it's a it's a regular thought in my brain at the moment. Most people will go back at least once. It's, it's... I can't recommend it enough. It was, I like the idea of being able to go to the, the popular spots because there's a lot that I haven't seen and I know they're easy to see at the popular spots. But going to Peru with you guys was, that was right up my alley. It was something that wasn't as popular among the Herp community. No. And it, it, it was wonderful. I loved the ruggedness. I loved the, being able to like just do our own thing. We we didn't have a curfew. We didn't have to worry about you guys yelling at us for anything. No. No permits. Yeah. It was. You didn't have to cook. I didn't have to cook the food, man. Woo. Oh. Is that a big one for you? Oh, it was. That was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, we had we had good food. That was it. So, it was a great trip. You like to go back there? Is there other places on your radar? I going back to lizards being my original interest into reptiles. I want to do a varanid trip. I want to go see as many monitors as I possibly can. And I mean, obviously Komodo's in that category yeah. as well, Yeah. but there are a lot of dwarf species in Australia that yes. I just, I've got a, I've got a hankering for. That's the big one. Yeah. Yeah. You can, there's, I don't know how many hundreds of species of lizards they have, but. It's ridiculous. It yeah. is. So, lizard radiation is uh, to the extreme on in Australia. Uh, and the, the Komodo thing, I think, of course, everybody wants the novelty of that. But again, it, it is one wants to witness the largest living lizard. There's a mystique there that it isn't false; it's real. Right. It's a it's a it's a real attraction. It's not a media induced fervor. <laughs> no. Yeah, they are big, impressive lizards that they're they're prehistoric. It would be cool to walk with the dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, Maybe one of these days we'll fall in buckets of money and be able to, to do that. Uh, hey, when you're rich and famous <laughs> with your podcast. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not going to happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, that those are the kinds of trips. Uh, Australia, too, is, you know, it's very expensive. But those yep. are the kind of trips that, that people want to do for most of their lives. They've got that itch to go there. And, um, you know, it, it's also um, in terms of – Herp tourism. I mean, those are hot spots, like you say, the yeah. places that people want to go. But just they're just they deserve it. I think. You know? I I agree. I mean, every venomous snakes seem to be the big draw for a lot of people to go to Asia and even South America. Um, and not that I wouldn't say no to venomous snakes, <laughs> but I I I've those lizard trips are the ones that pique my interest and the just the sheer volume of lizards in general in Australia and Indonesia would be mind-blowing 
And it's funny, um, when you do go, when you get there, you'll find yourself comparing the font, the lizards and snakes to, and frogs and whatever back to North American farms. I mean, we, oh yeah. Oh, well, this looks just like a wood frog or <laughs> this looks just like a our skink, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it is, but you'll, you can't help but draw these, uh, parallelisms, if you will, between, you know, uh, that side of the world and our side of the world. So, Absolutely. So I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Oh, man. I'm glad to, I'm, it's great to meet your daughter here. So Yeah, she's and, having a blast. And she's, um, she's being a real trooper. Yeah. And she talked my ear off about the horn lizard that you guys found. So. She was very excited about the horn lizard. That was her first one. So she she got to hold her first lizard, and it happened to be a Texas horned lizard, and and it's kind of fitting that her first rattlesnake was a prairie rattlesnake. So. I agree. <laughs> I'm I'm a proud dad. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. I don't know if I've missed anything talking to you, but I think I have a pretty good idea of where you've been and where you're going. <laughs> and I appreciate you coming on the show because. Uh, it's funny how people are interested in hearing about what other people do and how they do it and how they get to the same place. You know? Absolutely. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's been a lot well, of good. fun. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again from some other exotic location. <laughs> so we're sitting here on a, a stone picnic table uh, overlooking, what is the name of the canyon? Vogel, Vogel Canyon. canyon. Yep. And the Comanche National Grasslands. So. Uh-oh. There it is. So we had to stop rolling for a little bit because your daughter got a little boo-boo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's how this rolls, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, she's, a, she's a cutie bug, so it's it great to, to get to hang out with her a little bit, too, as, long, as well as you again. So It's always a pleasure. Yeah. So I'll see you again sometime. You betcha. Thanks again. Thank you, Mike. All right. Well, hello, everyone. I'm talking with my friend, Marissa Ishimatsu. Hi, Marissa. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I really am very honored that you asked me to be on here. Well, I'm honored that you came on. How's that? We're even. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And so this is actually it's 12 noon here. And uh, right now I should be releasing episode 22 of the podcast, but uh, I'm going to put that off for a couple hours while you and I talk, and then I'll get back to getting that done. And I know there's a couple people out there like Justin Michaels who are drumming their fingers and tapping their feet and waiting impatiently for the next episode to come out. Uh, (laughs) But they'll just have to wait because this is more important right now. Oh, I'll take the blame. Sorry, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're talking with you via the magic of technology. You live in the San Francisco area. Mm -hmm. I live in San Rafael. In in where? I'm sorry. Uh, San Rafael. San Rafael. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's how you pronounce that. I didn't know. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's how I pronounce it. And most of the people, but some people say San Rafael. Okay. Okay. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Right. Well, you know, regions have their own little shorthands for things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. And you are originally from the Bay Area, too. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from Lafayette and Contra Costa County. Um, I escaped for a few years and went to college and traveled around for a little bit and came right back accidentally. <laughs> Ac- accidentally. <Okay>. Yep. <laughs> Me- meaning you found uh, 
uh, honest work there. <laughs> <laughs> honest yeah. work and an honest husband. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I should say again, congratulations to you and your husband, Daclan, on your recent marriage, which took place, I believe, in September. Mm-hmm. Is that right? The, uh, maybe the end of September? Uh, beginning. So, beginning. September 5th. And I knew it okay. was going to be a good omen when he found me a mountain garter on our wedding day. So, uh, <laughs> that was beautiful. You know, <laughs> I, I love it when that happens. And that happens more than people think. When uh, people who are interested in, in amphibians and reptiles uh, get hitched, there's always seems to be some something to do with location. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like when Justin Michael, Justin and Talina Michaels got married. Uh, I was there with a few, of, uh, like Mike, Mike Cravens was there and Marty Whalen was there, our friends of ours. And uh, th- there were frogs. They got married outdoors at Giant City State Park down in southern Illinois. And there were actually some frogs hanging around right there where the ceremony was being produced. So, Oh, so that's wonderful. Cool. Yeah. yeah, the a couple days after, or the, or the wedding was a full weekend. And so the wedding was on Saturday, and then we just hung out Sunday and Monday. And on Monday, I went out with uh, Dr. Alex Crone, who you've had on your show, and mm-hmm. our friends Natalie McNear and Amy Patton and my new husband, Daclan. We went hiking out of the back of the venue and found my lifer Sierra Nevada yellow-legged frog. It was really ah. special to see that endangered species like on my wedding weekend, the very first ones I've ever seen. So that was great. Very cool. I think that's awesome. So we're having you on today to talk about origins. And so uh, we kind of know where you're at and, and where you're from, but uh, how did you get to the point where you you developed an interest in amphibians and reptiles in, in herbs. Uh, well, I will start out by saying I was kind of a strange kid. Uh, I didn't realize that when you could hear the frogs calling, you could actually go find them. I don't know why I never made that mental connection that you could actually go look for the frogs that were calling in the creek. Um, so I did, I was an only child. So I used to flip the logs in the backyard, found a lot of batracoseps under them, the California slender salamanders. Uh, but didn't really take a huge interest in them. I like the roly polies better. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, oh, I was in Girl Scouts and I learned a lot about rattlesnake avoidance. Very first rattlesnake I ever saw, uh, all that avoidance training went out the window and I ran away screaming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I always knew I wanted to go into biology. Uh, when I was in high school, biology was the one class that I loved the most. Um, I just was so fascinated by the natural sciences. Um, So throughout high school, uh, I was really involved in just doing everything outside and doing everything biology, but I didn't really have a focus. Um, Finding colleges was pretty difficult because everybody says that they have a good biology department that doesn't like uh, separate colleges very much. So I kind of put my hand in a hat, applied to way too many colleges, I think uh, 24. Wow. Got into about half of them, visited all of them, and decided on Oberlin um, in Ohio, Oberlin College. And I was buying my textbooks. I was standing in line um, at the bookstore, and I saw there was this kind of cute guy in front of me. And uh, I looked over, and I saw a book title, and I kind of laughed. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm sorry, I said, I'm sorry, there's a book over there called Deer Hunting with Jesus. And I just don't know what that's about. It turns out it's, it's a book about a guy who finds God by going deer hunting and spending a lot of time in the woods. Uh, but that guy and I stuck up a conversation and it turned out he lived across the hall from me. He was a biology major 
and his name was Alex Crone. Ah. And so that's how I started really. Um, he was so passionate about herpetology um, that through the years and being friends with him, we went on tons of trips. We've uh, done research together in undergrad. We went on multiple uh, uh, trips together while we were in college. And he just basically, I had, I was a, an empty vessel of, I knew I wanted to do biology, but I didn't know what, whether it was in the lab or what. And he was basically like, here, fill that with herpetology. <laughs> and that's how I got into it. Yeah. yeah. Alex, so. Alex um, is a, a very, he's into it deep. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's into it many levels down from where I'm at. And, uh, uh, he's, it's very infectious with him. He's, his passion is very infectious, infectious. Uh -huh. And, uh, the next thing, you know, you're thinking about things you never thought of before. <laughs> he's a wonderful friend to have. And I have, it's now been what, that was 2007. So it's now been 13 years of friendship and I, he's a, still one of my best friends and yeah. It's great. That's, that's good. And you guys don't live too far apart right now. Well, right now it looks like he's uh, in the process of moving. So I don't know how far apart he's going to be now. Um, okay. Yeah. But, but you've been out there in the same area for a while. Mm -hmm. So been able yeah. to hang around and do some herping and other stuff out there in California. He followed me because he, he went to grad school in Berkeley. And so it just, uh, and it, I live very close to Berkeley. So we just we were able to continue our friendship, which has been great. Cool. So cool. So he sort of opened your interest in, in amphibians and reptiles, uh, while you were in school mm -hmm. and, and, uh, that's continued ever since then. And, well, and I'll you... go back, I'll go back to one thing in, in 2009. So my college had this thing called winter term where you would spend the month of January doing something somewhere in the world and you had to do a project about it. And in January 20, uh, 2009, I got a super awesome winter term project working with Dr. Walter Chinkle uh, at Florida State University in Tallahassee um, doing ant work. And I was able, like, he's the guy who really pioneered throwing molten metal into ant nests and seeing the casts that come out. Oh. And so I spent a season with him or a month with him um, and a couple other undergrads doing ant research with him. And I told him I liked amphibians and reptiles, and he introduced me to one of his students named uh, Nathaniel Herrera, who introduced me to field oh. herp forum. Okay. So that's where I started really getting into the hobbyist side is field herp forum through Nathaniel. Yeah, um, the uh, field herping as a recreational activity. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. right. And then uh, from field herp forum in 2000, October of 2009, that same year, was my first snake road trip where I met you. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that, that was kind of fun. And I remember uh, Justin and I have talked about this. I think Justin called me or messaged me and, and you, you had made a post on the forum about uh, you were intending to come to Snake Road. And and uh, right, right away, Justin's like, um, hey, maybe we should go down there and just make sure everything goes OK for her. And, yeah, uh, because, the naivety. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because you were sort of broadcasting to the entire world, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, naive young student without, uh, all, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go down here and and uh, hang out. And, uh, you know, maybe we thought yeah. maybe that wasn't a great thing to do. Um, but, I, of course, I we all appreciate your enthusiasm. But uh, 
So I think, uh, I think t- actually Justin's wife, Talina's like, you go down there and you watch out for her. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that. You know, I actually, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a great majority of them are true crime podcasts. And uh, the sheer oh. amount of things that I should not have done in my youth. <laughs> yeah. That being yeah. one of them, uh, I had never met any of you guys. And I decided to meet you all in a random campsite with no surface for a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, a bunch of axe murderers came down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was fun uh, to to hang out with you. And, uh, and we got to introduce you to the Snake Road area. And we had a pretty good time. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And we've we've mm-hmm. done a couple more trips. In the process, you've come down to, to Peru a couple times, and mm-hmm. that's the obligatory podcast mention of Peru. Uh, <laughs> I will also plug that. It's been three times. And Is I, it three times? It's three times now, and I look forward to it every time. And actually, I brought my friend Grace down last time, and she and I have been talking about how there is so much to explore in this world, but we just want to go back to Peru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. That's great. And, and it was good to meet Grace and, and hang out with y'all. And um, I, th- I think she uh, I think she had a pretty good time down there as well. Oh, she had a great time. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't want to make it another commercial, but there's yeah, there's plenty you can do on multiple trips down there and, and other things you can see. And then it gets you to hanker hankering for uh, traveling to other places as well. And uh, and I also came out to California a number of years ago with uh uh, a small gang of ne'er-do-wells and we did what a trip that i like to call thamno palooza yeah and that was a came, good one came out to your stomping grounds in mm-hmm. the bay area and managed to get every garter snake species and subspecies that uh, it can be found around the area and that was uh, still remains one of my favorite trips of all time uh got to hang out with you and got to hang out with dr alex crone a bit uh, got to meet your mom and your dad and mm-hmm. uh, had had a good time with them. And uh, uh, your dad especially was uh, interesting because he, he seemed to enjoy, um, he really gets into the ranch life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was just kind of funny to see him in his home territory. <laughs> and uh, he As fed a six us. Foot and, tall, six foot tall Japanese cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, wined us and dined us, and and we we sang some cowboy songs, and yep. uh, everybody was happy. It was a good time was had by all. So uh, that was still remains one of my favorite trips of all time. And I mean, uh, you guys and, descended on that ranch, and we found every snake species found there <laughs> in like twelve hours. And my ranch is only five acres, and you guys still found every single space snake species. My favorite was that we were the only thing we hadn't found was a rattlesnake which are pretty much the most common snake species we have at the ranch. And we were all standing around the fence line looking at the vista. And I looked down, there's a rattlesnake at our feet, like just coiled. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, right by a fence we're post. Done. Yeah. Yep. We're done. Yeah. Got a, got a cow king in your garden. and Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. And um, your ranch is in, I think, what, Calaveras County? That's right. Yeah. Um, California. So, yeah. Very cool. And uh, again, give your parents my regards. Uh Really, yeah. appreciate, really enjoyed hanging out with both of them. So, uh, I don't know if you saw this year. We found a California tiger salamander under a trash bin this winter. Oh wow! Which was crazy. I mean, wow. just very strange sighting. Wouldn't expect them to be there. No idea where that breeding pond is. So Ooh. very cool. Mystery. Yeah. 
you're gonna have to figure that one out. Yeah, <laughs> I hope to see another one. That was great. It was really wow. awesome to see one there. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, let's see, you are employed in the biological sciences currently, correct? Why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? So um, in 2012, I was working at the East Bay Vivarium, and I was kind of getting the feeling that I was more into wild animals than captive ones. Um, but, uh, because of the forum, um, Rob Shell invited me to go herping for Hydromantes Brunus, the limestone salamander. Ooh. So we went out there, we found a couple of Brunus, we kind of found a couple, uh, um, Betrigaceps diabolicus, which are pretty cool, the hell, hell, hell hollow salamander. And then, um, best, we best, best salamander name ever, right? Diabolicus. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so we, I went to my parents' house for dinner and my dad was joking around. Rob was saying what he does. He's an environmental consultant. And my dad goes, well, can you get her a job? Well, a week later, I was on a plane to San Diego to start working in consulting. And that was, in, as I said, in 2012. And I worked um, as a construction monitor for a couple different companies, ended up working about four years at Transcon Environmental. And then uh, last year, uh, after seven years in the business, Rob hired me back, and now I am the construction monitoring team lead at WRA here in uh, Marin County. And um, basically what we do is we make sure that um, whoever is doing b business, whether they're like expanding from anywhere between expanding a shopping mall or a residential area, to a, we do a ton of mitigation banking um, and mitigation bank development. But basically, when any of those construction activities occur, permits need to be drawn up and uh, put into place. And then my team basically helps to enact those permits and uh, from the biological monitoring perspective. So um, we do a lot of permit compliance. So you make sure that when some construction happens, that it's done within uh, not only the the umbrella of the permit, but you know, basically that the or, organisms that are protected by law, that the construction happens to minimize or mitigate uh, destruction of those organisms, right? That's exactly right. Both the, the animals themselves and the habitats that they're found in. So um, we currently do most of our work with California red-legged frog. Um, I actually was just working yesterday on a mitigation bank development project. So um, building new ponds and new wetlands for frogs. Um, I also do a lot of work with uh, salt marsh harvest mouse, um, which is a Bay Delta endemic um, of a, a little, little harvest mouse guy who lives in um, salt marshes. And uh, yeah, we do a lot of work with those. So we're doing a marsh redevelopment, um, a marsh restoration I'm working on tomorrow. So <laughs> a lot of really cool. cool habitat work. Yeah. So you're getting your feet wet still and, and doing some, some cool work right there close to home. That's right. Yep. And one of the, one of the, from my Thamnopalooza experience, the, uh, the marshes out there along the coast are, are awesome and are home to awesome garter snakes like the San Francisco mm -hmm. garter snake. And so if you're protecting that little mouse, you're also protecting and maybe creating habitat for some uh, San Francisco garter snakes and some newts and other other cool things. And mm -hmm. so it's uh, it's kind of all connected. So 
Um, it's I'm, also for climate change too. So those marshes are really, really key in sea level rise and stopping flooding, like catastrophic flooding events. So by by uh, restoring marshes, we're helping with that potential for sea level rise. Oh wow! Okay, that's cool. So very, very good. And I remember, um, I remember visiting you in San Diego when you worked down there. And I think you were, uh, it, it wasn't herp related work at the time. You were doing some monitoring of uh, breeding breeding populations of golden eagles. Is that correct? Oh, uh, so no, the golden eagle thing was actually while you're in Thamnopalooza. Um, I was oh, watching okay. a nest um, for any disturbance that that nest had uh, with the helicopter traffic that was going overhead. It was really cool. I got to just sit on a hill by myself, uh, plug in Game of Thrones. I think I listened to all of the books on audiobook that summer uh, and to watch a golden eagle nest go from incubation to fledging. So that was really, really an awesome experience. Um, The San Diego one was I was just monitoring um, and that gave me the experience to go all over San Diego and the surrounding area looking for reptiles and amphibians and anything else I could put my camera lens on. Uh, but I was doing construction monitoring for a transmission line down there. Transmission line. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got my, my two events mixed up, which is not uncommon <laughs> for me. Uh, very good. And so the, these are important projects to make sure that uh, uh, when helicopters are flying, that they're not disturbing the nest or the eagles in flight or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like the way the state takes that stuff seriously, uh, which is not always the case in other states, which, uh, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, the bulldozers roll and nobody knows anything about it. Uh, so I, I really appreciate how they do things out your way. Mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate to live in California. I don't know whether I'd have quite as robust of a job if I lived anywhere else. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Uh, and you did mention photography there. And I, I did want to talk to you a little bit about photography because I remember when we first met, you were just sort of getting into mm-hmm. the, the that as a as a hobby, and I don't know if that's the right word, uh, hobby, but that's what we use, right? Mm-hmm. Hobby hobby sounds like making ships and bottles and things like that <laughs> to me, <clears throat> but where, where photography can be a, an obsession, and uh, so you went from zero to sixty in a very short period of time with your your photography skills. I did. The Field Herp Forum really inspired me, uh, seeing everybody's wonderful, beautiful posts on there. And I realized that photography was a big part of herping for me. Um, And I was never a life lister, really. I just, I liked appreciating the animals. Um, So in January of 2011, on another one of those uh, winter term trips, my dad and I went to Japan. And I ended up spending an afternoon walking around by myself in the Akihabara district of Tokyo. And I walked into a tiny camera shop and fell in love with uh, what is called in Japan the Kiss X3, which was the T1i Rebel series um, oh. Canon. And I picked that up. I picked up a Tamron 90 millimeter and just whatever the kit 18 to 55 was. And uh, I started shooting. Um, I wasn't, you know, I, I remember reading the manual cover to cover on the bullet train on the way, you know, somewhere in Japan. And um, in July of 2011, uh, really changed my life. I took a leave of absence from my senior year of college. I had enough credit stored up that I could do that and still graduate on time. And I got hired by the Forest Service um, to do narrow-headed garter snake work in the Gila National Forest. And so I spent like 
four months just hiking the Gila looking for snakes and doing, you know, weight, uh, length, pit tagging, that kind of uh, data on them for um, this woman's graduate work. And um, I needed some volunteers. So I advertised on Field Herb Forum and I got people like Sam Murray and Chris Gillette to come out and volunteer with me. And Sam and Chris were both fantastic photographers and they really taught me the ropes on how to shoot with a DSLR. Um, and that really changed my photographic life. And ever since then, I've been addicted. I've now switched over to Nikon. So sorry, Canons. I am. Oh. I, I'm a Nikon now. <laughs> are but, you are you mirrorless yet? I'm not mirrorless. My husband has a mirrorless camera. He's got a Nikon Z7 and I've shot with it a little bit and I just really like my D850. Solid okay. shoot with. Yeah. All right. You go. It's worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that the, you had the time to, it's part of your job to also, you know, have, you know, photo sessions and also hone your skills Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously there's not a whole lot of other things to do there, but, you know, do the survey work and, uh, mm-hmm. take some pictures. So that's pretty cool. I think a lot of people would, uh, I know I would relish the opportunity just to focus on photography without having, you know, without disturbance of other obligations. That would be kind of fun. Well, even better than that, we had four day work weeks. So we spent four days in the Gila in the forest itself. And then my other three days were up to me. So I usually ran off to southeastern Arizona. So that's the summer that I really met Tim, um, Tim Warfel. And uh, he, you know, kidnapped me, basically. And uh, we went up and down all the mountain ranges, all the sky islands of southeastern Arizona. Uh, got our Willard Eye and our Obscurus and Willard Eye, Willard Eye. And, um, oh, everything else. <laughs> we got almost everything. I think the only thing I'm missing from down there is... Uh, Gylopian canum, I've got quadrangulaire, and I still don't have a green rat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I need to make another yeah. monsoon trip. Yeah, sounds like. Very interesting that uh, you're, you also are one of the, the folks who have managed to get Crotalus willardi obscurus in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, some of our listeners have seen those in the States, but uh, some of us had to make an end run and go to Mexico and <laughs> and maybe find them in a little, a little easier spot. But, uh, so that's very interesting. Um, and I had a, I, one more thing about that. I had a, I was driving through Albuquerque and my buddy knew Charlie painter. So we stopped by Charlie's house and I had a brief conversation with him about it. And he told me that sure enough in the animus, it takes 40 man hours to find one snake. Oh, so, wow straight up 40 man hours to find one per snake. Like that was the the statistic that they found. So even in the mountain range, they're supposed to be easier in. They are not easy there. And it's, yeah, it's a total stroke of luck. So you feel fortunate. Extremely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll take that good luck whenever we get it right. Cause Absolutely. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we work very hard and come up with nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been there as well. Well, that's the one nice thing about photography is that even if you don't find anything, you still have a good time. There's always something to shoot. There's always something just being out there is great. So even if you miss your target, there's always something. Exactly. Maybe there's a bird, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, or a flower or something. So, and I can appreciate those as much as you do. So, so (laughs) I get that. 
It, it reminds me, you're talking about, you know, you're woodshedding the photography while on the job there. It reminds me of my first trip to Peru because we had um, so many animals to photograph on that tri- first trip. Um, and I, you know, I spent eight to 10 hours a day just photographing frogs and lizards and things. And it, it, it really got me in touch with my, the camera I was using at that point. It's like, Oh, the, by the end of the second or third day, I had a new camera system. And, and by the end of that third day, I really understood, you know, how to, how to make it work and what the sweet spots were, uh, with exposure and things like that. So mm-hmm. kind of wish I had more opportunities like that. So. Well, I very I uh, admire that kind of tenacity to sit down and photograph for that long because I I did that on my first trip to Peru as I sat down and tried to get a photo of every single animal that came through, and uh, I started getting pretty terrible shots of things because I was doing it in a, a way that wasn't like didn't have a lot of integrity towards the animal itself, and if I I find that if I lose that integrity and like really checking in with my sense of the animal, I don't take a good photograph, not one that I'm proud of, not one that I want to share. So really spending more time with a single animal in a single shot and not photographing the other 25 uh, yeah. I find is, is better for me. That's, but that's a good a point. To realize that. <laughs> yeah. That, and I've heard that from other photographers. And if you've, you know, if you listened to prior episodes, um, when we had Matt Sullivan on the show, he kind of touched on that as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, trying to, uh, to get photographs that, uh, that really pull out some essence of, of the creature, mm-hmm. uh, and not, you know, basically go for the, the field guide shot for every single animal that you see. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can appreciate that. And, that. and that's all part of your evolution as a photographer too, right? That's abs- that, exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the future, do you have like a, a big goal for a, you know, your uh, herp and herping goal, a herp photography goal? What are you looking at? Uh, assuming that we get through our pandemic and things return to some kind of normalcy. Oh, my gosh. I, I really want to dive with sea snakes. Any sea snake species I would love to see underwater. I've never I've just I am a little baby diver. Uh, I haven't t- dive that much but uh to dive with a sea snake would be spectacular so i think there's that i would love to go to komodo i think komodo is really my uh yeah my main goal at the moment i would say but really anywhere i love just being outside basically herping is an excuse to go outside in the coolest habitats and just explore those so yeah and you've herped, uh, you've herped uh, other places across the world. I'm, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head where else you've been. Yeah, I did. I've done a couple trips to Mexico now. Uh, definitely Baja a couple times. I've done, as mm-hmm. I said, three trips to Peru. I did one trip to Honduras. Um, oh, you went to uh, Pico Benito, correct? I did, yeah. Um, <laughs> I got there because I was dating this guy, and three weeks before we were supposed to take a three-week vacation, we broke up. So I had three weeks of vacation time off, posted on Facebook, asked where I should go. And my friend said, go get your dive certification, your open water on Utila in Honduras. And I said, sure, let's go. So I booked a plane ticket, spent a week and a half in uh, Utila on, in Honduras, getting just diving. And then uh, on the next week uh, in Pico Bonito, just hiking around, 
I think my best night, we got somewhere around like eight coral snakes. Um, it was crazy. Coral snakes were easily the most common species. And then I saw one fertilance and it's the first time I've seen a fertilance that scared the pants off of me. Uh, <laughs> the dude was like, had to be between five and six feet long. And he was just stock still until he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Was insane. Yeah. Uh, so Honduras was great. Um, that species then, has this amazing uh, potential to just explode in oh, any yeah. direction. And, and I saw uh, that. And it was too big of a snake for it to explode and be okay. <laughs> wow. Very good. I, I remember that. I remember some interesting pictures that you took. And uh, eh, what a great gift your ex-boyfriend gave you. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wouldn't have traded that for the world. Uh, in 2015, I went to Peru in January, Honduras in June, and then Baja in September, and then Baja again in October. It's 20, and I met my now husband. So uh, yeah. that was a very good year. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about Declan. I, I haven't met him yet. I don't really haven't really got to know him. So uh, he he's like t- he must be totally cool with what you're into. Oh and, yeah. And- uh, He's fantastic. He actually, like a year into us dating, I was talking to Carrie Nelson on Facebook. He put up a post asking people to go to Australia with him. And I know how to drive stick. So, and he and his friend who were going to Australia didn't know how to drive stick. So I just volunteered to basically be their chauffeur. So about a year into Declan and I dating, I disappeared for three and a half weeks with two guys I had barely met at all uh, to go hang out in the... Uh, Cape York area of Australia, and uh, Daclan was totally cool with it. And when I when he was totally cool with that, I realized that I got I had a winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and here you are again, put you know, broadcasting yourself out to the universe, saying, "Hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's all worked out for you so far." Right? <laughs> the hosts of the true crime podcasts that I listen to would not be too happy with me right now, but what I will say is. It's just nice. The herping community, most of us, um, are a very nice community and you can get people to vouch for other people. So when I had a couple of people vouch for what a good guy Carrie was, um, and I had known him for a couple of years on Facebook, I was able to feel comfortable doing that. Um, but it just there's there's a support system here. Um, there's yes. a lot of infighting and a lot of drama, too, but there is a support system. Oh yeah, there's drama in every every <laughs> facet of being alive, right? Um, mm-hmm. Anywhere we get together in groups, there's some drama, but uh, exactly but right. I think our ours is um, you know at the core, it's pretty good. It helps, I think, to get uh, to, to that it's moved mainstream, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you're not the you're not not the only Herper girl out there that you know. You know plenty of other ones, and it's good that that's that's happened. Yeah, when I started, when I started herping and like when I was between 17 and 20, I was like the only female herper that I knew or that I hung out with. And it it was kind of a rarity. And these days, it just feels like it's much more normal, which is wonderful. Um, As I said, there is a lot of drama and infighting, but I think that there are some really good people out there. And uh, there's a lot more female diversity, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah, cool. So what's on the, uh, anything cool on the, on the horizon for you? 
Well, we didn't actually get to take a honeymoon because of COVID. So ah. uh, we are we want to do a honeymoon somewhere. Uh, in 2019, we did a fantastic trip to India where we spent a month in India. Um, it was at first to go for a, a Indian wedding. His his best friend's girlfriend's brother got married and we got invited to the wedding. Um, so that... Cool. <laughs> Yeah, so we went to uh, Delhi for the wedding, and then we went on a friend's moon trip with them and traveled around. I got to see tigers, wild tigers, which was amazing. And then after that trip ended, we went to Chennai and volunteered with the Croc Bank, the Madras Croc Bank, which was started by Ron Whitaker. And we yes. volunteered there for a little while, and then we went like doing photography work for them. And then we went to um, the Agumbe Rainforest Research Station and did photography work for them, watching their King Cobra rescue team. And uh, that Ooh. kind of sparked an idea for us of just like, we've got to go travel. We've got to like stay in research stations. So I think our next trip might actually be South Africa. And Ooh. we found a really cool group that does conservation. So when you stay with them, that actually uh has an aspect of conservation whether you're helping to tag elephants or helping to uh do research on painted dogs there's there's an aspect of research that happens there i'm trying to convince them to do more reptile and amphibian focused work so we'll see if that works out but i think south africa might be where the honeymoon goes cool i just yeah. realized i said ooh about five times <laughs> <laughs> a lot of so cool things. The India, yeah, the India thing sounds awesome, and and the South Africa thing sounds equally awesome. So that's yeah. that's cool. I can't wait to see your photos from that trip uh, when, whenever that happens. Right? I can't imagine how much data I'm going to have to take for South Africa. <laughs> I ran out of data in India, and I like South Africa is going to be even worse. Oh yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Wow. Well, I want to thank you for coming on this segment. It, I knew you'd have a good story, and it's it's great to uh, to talk. Number one, it's great to talk to you again. Anyway, it's been a, a far too long since I've, I've seen you, and this is about what we can do as far as seeing each other. We're, we've got a little <laughs> video chat session open as we talk, so that's been great. And uh, I'm giving you permission to go look for frogs if you ha happen to hear them call anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I now know that I can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite things. You know, I hear the frogs yeah. calling. I'm like, okay, here well, we out go. Here, out here, we only have the one species that really calls. So we just have the the tree frogs, the Pacific tree frogs, and the very stereotypical yeah. ribbits. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. But I remember yeah. like being out in the Midwest and out east and having those big choruses of like five different species calling. Oh, it's wonderful. I really miss yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, gets my motor running still. So absolutely. Well, Pingleton, I really awesome. appreciate you putting out this podcast and really getting the good word out about herpetology and all you've done for helping citizen science and helping people understand this weird fascination that we have and making it more mainstream. And your book is wonderful. My dad really enjoys it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's I awesome. It. Yeah. No, please send him my regards and your mom as well. Yeah, well, he really enjoys your poetry as well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, one of these days I'm going to come back out your way, and I hope I can build in some time just to hang out with y'all. Please That'd do. Fun. We'd love it. All right. Thanks again, Marissa. <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
Hi, everyone, and I'm back with another Origins episode. And today I'm talking with Josh Ems from New Mexico. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to talk to you. And uh, before we uh, hear about your origin story, uh, we've met, but it's been many, many years ago, correct? Correct. We met at the Four Corners field trip. That's correct. Yeah, we uh, on the big survey down there, and uh, yeah. that was, I think, back in 2011. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and uh, so unfortunately, I haven't seen you since, which is uh, not uncommon for me. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what what you're up to there in New Mexico? Okay, well, I'm I currently work um, in pest control. So Daniel Dye and I have a lot in common. In fact, um, we've taught classes together um, about snakes and have you really? um, identification. Yep. <laughs> it's a small world. It is. It is. But it's funny because the way I met him and the way he um, got introduced to our local um, pest control group down here was through that field trip to the Four Corners that we were talking about earlier. I'll be darned. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing that. Uh, uh, I should have put you right after Daniel Dye's ta- uh, episode. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. pretty funny. But but yeah, uh, so I like I said, I do pest control. Um, I also do um, snake removal for our company as well. Um, and I'm the president of the New Mexico Herpetological Society. And we're working on some good things right now. That's awesome. And I totally uh respect that that is a lot of work it's an un what do you want to call it it's an unappreciated job being the president of a herb society or or the vice president or any other position it's a lot of work yeah it is we have a we have a good group in there right now as far as um officers and we're working to do what we can especially with the whole covid thing and everything uh, all our meetings are online right now and um we're we're doing pretty good. Good, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you try to carry on as best you can, right? Exactly. So tell us how it is you got involved with amphibians and reptiles. How did that come about for you? Well, I've, I've always been interested in them. Um, I know when I was a, a kid, um, pretty young, uh, I don't remember exactly what year it was. It was in the 80s. Um, my um, parents, uh, we, we left church early, which was a very, very rare thing. And um, we went and we stood out in the median of I-40 and were and held hands for Hands Across America. And oh. I remember I remember chasing lizards in that median. And my my dad was having fun with us and me and my brother. And we uh, we just had a lot of fun. But I remember... That's kind of the first thing that got me really interested in them. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, I was involved in the Boy Scouts. And on my first camping trip with the Boy Scouts, we were doing a service project. And we were um, basically we were moving rocks into cages to prevent erosion along a stream. And um, lifting rocks, of course, we started finding garter snakes. And I was hooked. That was it. Yep. So uh, it all it all comes it all comes back to lifting rocks 
you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. and finding a surprise underneath. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. But, you know, it, that's, that's kind of where I got my interest. Um, I kind of, you know, moved through things. I, you know, I was also very much interested in computers. And so ended up, you know, um, going to school for computer science and somehow landed on getting a degree in history. And then did all that in Hawaii and just had a lot of fun opportunities there. I'm snorkeling with sea turtles and stuff like that. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. It was a great way to meet girls, you know, just talk about with our buddies. Just talk, hey, remember that big sea turtle last night? You guys know where sea turtles are? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Absolutely. We'd we'd take them out. Everybody loves sea turtles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. They're great. Um, awesome. So we'd go and That's do awesome. stuff like that. Then, you know, after I came back to back to New Mexico, I got a job. Uh, my brother was doing pest control, and I got a job with them just kind of temporarily until I was going to get going to get my teaching certification. Um, I just I got into it, and I, I really enjoyed it, and just decided to stay there. Okay, but I moved out of my moved out of my parents' house, of course, and they. Um, uh, my mom was pretty adamant after she let me have a snake for when I was a teenager. She was adamant that I wasn't to have any more snakes because it got out all the time. And yeah, but uh, so after I moved out, I got a got a snake and started um, going to different things in town and um, you know like going to the rattlesnake museum a lot and just things like that. And finally landed on the Herp Society through the rattlesnake museum and. Um, started attending meetings and um after a while the uh, president um retired you know he didn't want to be president anymore and uh, we went a year without a president and then i was like you know someone needs to do this and so i decided to go ahead and uh run for that and i was unopposed and won so and here you are yeah it was great the the, the herb society's done a lot for me um definitely helped me uh, increase the uh, desire to to find them and stuff. And I had a real good friend who would. I'd always liked finding snakes and stuff, but I just thought, well, who does that, you know? <laughs> and um, I, I remember I had a friend, and he said, "Yeah, I go out and look for snakes all the time." And I'm like, "Really?" And I was like, "Well, that's great." And I said, "Well, you should go out sometime." And he's like, "Okay." And yeah, you know how those things go. It just never really happened. And then um, right after I got married. I had word that he would been uh, been out camping in the woods and a tree fell on him and killed him. And it just kind of, Oh my gosh. Yeah. just kind of this crazy thing. And I was like, you know, I need to, to kind of remember him. I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for snakes. And well, here we are. (laughs) Um, So I started looking and took my wife with me. She said, you know, she said if, if I was going to go and look for snakes, then she had to be there to drive me to the hospital. You know, she knew I was going to get bit. So um, <laughs> we went on our first uh, field trip with the Herp Society out to eastern New Mexico, out by the Texas border. And got a, it was my very first field trip and we got a county record. And so it's just like really just great experience got to herp with bill dagenhart you know just different things like that so holy cow so you had uh herping with with uh dr dagenhart and on uh basically your first big trip that sounds uh pretty amazing i imagine 
you are pretty stoked and then got into it uh, more heavily after that. Oh yeah. And that, that trip also hooked my wife. Um, and so now it's not, uh, they're not all my snakes, you know, that we have here at the house and some are hers too. Cool. And the kids are really into it too. So. Excellent. So she never, she no longer worries about driving you to the hospital. No. Um, he still comes with me though. She gets mad if I don't take her with me. So, because she wants to. <laughs> so do you herp all over New Mexico? Uh, or do you have specific places you like to go or? Oh, we like to go anywhere and everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a personal goal to, to find everything that the state has to offer, which is, you know, easy on some accounts and very difficult on others. So. Uh, can give me an idea. Do you have do you have things that you haven't found yet? Um. Well, of course, you know the the big white whale in New Mexico is the great banded king snake. Of course. <laughs> um, yes. They barely come in in New Mexico. Only a handful have been found, and um, that would be fun to find one. That's that's on my list, but it's not exactly high on my list because it's not. It, it doesn't seem all that attainable, if you know what I mean. But uh, sure. I, I, what I kind of what I've been really going after this year was the salamanders um, here in the state. And we have the tiger salamander, um, and that, that's pretty much statewide. And then we have two uh, endemics the Sacramento Mountain salamander and the Hamas Mountain salamander. Uh, I found the Sacramento Mountains this year, and um, I've been up a couple times to look for the Hamas Mountain salamander, but the conditions weren't that great. I was more or less just surveying spots. So I take it that you have to have some uh, pretty good conditions for though that for those species. That's kind of tricky. Yeah, the, the Sacramento Mountains is pretty easy. Um, they're they're pretty easy to find if you get into the right habitat at the you know the right time of year. Um, but the Hamas Mountain salamander they they require a lot of moisture and um, there's been a lot of forest fires and so it's just been a lot been kind of difficult this year. We haven't got a lot of rain this year either, so. I see. Those are, uh, to me, those are mysterious creatures, uh, plethodontids out in New Mexico. I, you know, I, it's just not a place I think of when I think of plethodontid salamanders. Uh, oh, yeah. Very, very dry out here. And yeah, they just, but they, they're there. So. And do you herp out of the state too? You go to, I know you would go to Colorado because I saw you there, but uh, do you go to other places around Texas and Arizona and whatnot, or yeah, we've been to we've been all around. We uh, we've gone to California a couple times, Arizona a few times, Texas, um, Kansas. Um, went to Kansas a couple years ago. It was the first time I'd ever herped in Kansas. I'd driven through before, but it was before I was really into herping. And um, uh, the first milk I found was a was a partially striped milk. It was pretty awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, Kansas is a you know the right time of the year. It's an amazing place for snakes. Yeah, we we hit this one uh, wetland area and um, we hit it just right. It had been raining and raining and raining, and the sun finally came out. And within seconds, I mean, literally within the first minute of getting the area, you know, rhombifer right away, and then uh, uh, cisturus, and then more rhombifer and thamnophis, and just snake after snake after snake i think we found 30 or so in about two hours 
kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? It, it really does. It really does. And, you know, and lifting a rock and finding five ringnecks under it is just like amazing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't do much rock lifting where you live, I uh, I imagine. I that's how we look for milks out here, but it's um it's few and far between. Um, there's parts of the state. Um, you get up into the northeastern part of the state, and you get prey ringnecks under a, a good amount of rocks and other things. But I see. Uh, the only time I've really harped in New Mexico is, of course, up in Four Corners, and that was just very briefly, and then also down along the Arizona border, uh, which is kind of cool. It got some great herps down there. Oh yeah, I we went there um, last year for the Charlie Painter uh, Bio Blitz. Um, another guy actually got to herp with before he passed away, so that was nice. Um, oh but, wow! But yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I loved it down there. Um, you got a Mojave and, um, some things I hadn't seen yet. So, uh, really, really beautiful liar snake. It was great. Oh, cool. But I think the, one of the highlights for me from that area, and I'm talking a few miles within the border was, uh, Western diamondback that was basically pinkish, uh, in color. His background color was kind of a pinkish color. It was just kind of an amazing looking snake. Yeah, I found we found one similar to that over um, over in it was over in Chiricahua's. Yeah, it was you know right there. It was great. I it just it was Diamondback after Diamondback after Diamondback. It was great. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, keep them coming, right? That's hard to get tired of those. Yeah, that's, I I love them. You know, and they're they're one of the more common snakes out here. If you go to the right places, here in Albuquerque, you have to be either in the foothills or um, you know real rocky areas, but you get down south of here and they're just about everywhere. I see. So is it, is it snakes that really do it for you or, but it sounds like you, you're like a little bit of everything given you're also looking for salamanders, which I appreciate. Oh, I, I love, I mean, salamanders kind of here. It's just New Mexico. It's like, you know, I go out and I find a salamander and I share it with my, you know, some of my herping buddies. We have a little um, Facebook group that we share stuff to. And yeah, it's like I find a salamander and everyone goes nuts. You know, it's it's they're just they're so rare out here to find them, especially in the adult form. The larvals are pretty easy if you find the ponds they reproduce in. They're pretty easy to find, but the adults finding the adults can be very difficult. Um, so it's kind of a you know it's hard to find, so that makes it more fun to find. I see, and, and so do you have a a fairly Good sized group of herpers are around. I mean, I know a few other uh, other New Mexico herpers, of course. But uh, do you do you guys get out as a group? Uh, occasionally, um, we we get out pretty good. Um, I get out a lot with uh, Bill Gorham and um, John Ruyak. Yeah, some of those guys, uh, Jeff Carlson, Tyler Carlson. Okay, yeah, among others. I some of those. I, some of those I know by name, and of course, I know Bill a little bit, and I know John a little bit more. Right. <laughs> well, he was up at that um, Colorado meet that you guys were at. So, yeah. So this is kind of interesting to me because it seems like you've got to, in order to keep the herping thing going, you've got to be kind of uh, studious on habitat and weather conditions and things like that for some of the more special things, but I guess uh, you probably have days where you can just go out and, uh, and get a, a diamond back, or there's days when you can go out and get a, a garter snake without too much trouble. 
Um, if you go to the right places, yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple places I know that if I want to find a garter snake, you know, just go and spend a couple hours, I'll find one eventually. <laughs> and, you know, in other places, you know, it's it, sometimes it's so hit and miss. You know, I'll, I'll go one of the closest roads to my house. You know, I'll, I'll go and find, you know, four or five Massasagas in a night and then go back the next night and absolutely nothing. So, And what has changed in 24 hours? Exactly. And then you try and figure that out, um, you know, and it just, yeah, you just never know. And in fact, you know, earlier this year, uh, we were sitting there and kind of, my wife was kind of itching to get out of the house, you know, um, we've been COVID, we've been staying home a lot. And she said, let's go road cruising. Let's go road cruising for Subox. And I'm like, okay, full moon tonight, but let's go. And um, we headed down there and we got a diamond back on the way down uh, in the afternoon. Um, we hadn't really gotten any rain either. That's usually something that needs to be happened to, to find a subwalk and got on the road and still dusk. And, um, I look and I see this snake out on the road there and I'm, it was huge. I'm like, it's gotta be a coach whip and someone must've hit it cause it's sitting still. And so we pull over and I run over and grab it. And it was a subwalk. It was big one, nice big one. And then we kept going and we got another, we got a, ground snake that night as well and then on the way out we you know found a few dors night snake but so you know all in a night that you would think well the subox are, are kind of rare that's a rare find for you um yeah i mean it's just just because of where they are and uh, you know it's a bit of a drive so it's almost it's almost far enough to where you know if you're going to drive down there you need to consider staying the night because sometimes you know you can be Herping till you know one two o'clock in the morning and then three hour drive home that's that's a bit much oh yeah and the kids hang in there huh yeah well they fall asleep but you know yeah <laughs> it's it's only about a two hour drive but we we always got to take the back roads and you know just in case you know to ink snake on yeah. the way home i mean come on <laughs> yeah so uh, the kids are into it too, and uh, do they have a, a favorite thing? Do they like road cruising, or what are they into? So their favorite thing to do is watch me flip stuff, and it's kind of the funniest thing because I'll flip something, and before I even say anything, they'll say one of a few things. They'll say nothing, or zip, zero, zilch, not a lot, a whole lot of nada. You know, I say, that's some of the things I say when I flip stuff. Or ants. That's another one they say a lot is ants. This is where, whether <laughs> I found something or not. And the other day we were flipping and I, I flipped this rock. And there's nothing under it. My youngest daughter, you know, she's four. Uh, and she says, ants. And I was like, no, there's no ants under that one. So let's try this one over here. And I lift it up and she goes, snakes. She was all excited. A little garter snake. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, I <laughs> I love I love hearing this because they're they're totally into the to routine. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. It, it is. It's funny, and they, you know, they um, my my oldest daughter, you know, um, we had some friends at church. Um, they're in their park in their neighborhood, and they come across a little gopher snake, and um, and she went ahead and grabbed it. She could tell she knew from me that it wasn't. If it wasn't a rattlesnake, she didn't have to worry about it. So she went in and picked it up and, you know, sent pictures of it to my wife, actually, and said, hey, what is this? And she said, oh, that's a gopher snake. 
And she's like, oh, do you guys want it? And I was like, no, just take it back to the Arroyo next to the park there and let it go. And that'll be fine. And she's like, yeah, I'm worried people over there are going to kill it. I'll bring it over. So uh, <laughs> my wife actually went over and picked it up and we brought it home. We were just going to release it in the Arroyo, the same place we told her to release it. But um, then my son all of a sudden grows a huge heart for this snake and wants to keep it. So, so he got a snake. And then, of course... The other two, like, well, if he has a snake, then we need snakes too. Ah, uh, yeah. So my daughter, my daughter has a subak. My my oldest daughter has a subak. My son has a gopher snake, and my youngest daughter has a hognose. And of course, they have to learn how to take care of them and and properly and so on. Well, so forth. that's part of the deal. Eventually, yeah. Right now, I'm taking care of them, but they'll learn eventually. So they like to watch yeah. me feed them. They they love doing that. Um. And just one of those funny things, you know, um, my daughter, we were, uh, sitting, I was sitting in the TV room watching TV and she was playing with her Barbies and, um, she had them all sitting in a car and, um, and she said she was making voices, you know, and the, like you said, from the, from the, the dad or the mom, I don't remember which to the kids and we're going to go get ice cream. Then we're going to go road cruising and then we'll go home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's priceless. Uh, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I want to hear. It's so funny to hear my kids using Herper lingo. You know, it's it's yeah, they're they're gonna blow their <laughs> teachers away. You know, when they say, "What's this rattlesnake?" Well, that's a that's a Western Diamondback Crotalus atrox. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and they just soak that stuff up. You know. Oh, they yeah, they do. They they do. They love it. They we had some had some surprise uh, corn snake eggs last year, and every day have the eggs hatched yet. Can we look at the eggs? And then after they were hatched, they all they wanted to see was the babies. Want to see the babies? Want to see the babies? That's awesome too. Uh, again, you know their little minds get blown by all this stuff. It's just it's an amazing for us. We you know uh, adults, but for kids, it's just a incredible thing to have happen. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and I, I know that they may not end up sharing the exact same uh, enthusiasm that I have for it as they, as they get older, but, um, but you know, they'll, uh, definitely won't be afraid of snakes and that's, and that's a good thing. Right. Right. <laughs> Sounds like you have one of them right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They broke into the room. Come here. Yeah. Let's go watch a video, then we'll come in here, okay? Daddy's probably on the time. <laughs> Let's go. I was just talking about you guys. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> you tell him Cal's going to be your son. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they, they love going out herping with me, and they... My, they, sometimes they want to go road cruising. Sometimes they don't. Usually they're, you know, like, well, you can take your tablet with you. Okay. Right. Cause you know, they'll disengage from that when you find something cool. Exactly. You know, it's like, if I find a snake, I, I, you know, they want to see it, you know? And so I'll, if it's non-venomous, I'll do, I'll pick it up and I'll show it to them. And they usually want to pet it and see it. And then we, you know, pass the hand sanitizer around and, and let it go on its way. Wow. So they learn all the good stuff too, right? Uh, they learn to respect the the snakes that can reach out and, and 
and hurt you and they learn to, you know, enjoy it and then let it go on with its life and let it be. Exactly. You know, they, they learn right away that, um, that, Hey, if they see a snake call daddy over, they know not to pick anything up if, uh, unless I'm there to tell them that it's okay. Good. That's pretty cool. The nice thing here is we don't have anything other than rattlesnakes that are dangerous. So, um, they can definitely identify when it's a rattlesnake. Okay. And I forgot to ask you now, do you, are you from, are you in Albuquerque? Is that right? Yes. Yes. I'm in Albuquerque. Okay. I grew up in Rancho, which is just outside of Albuquerque. Okay. Just so I and everybody listening knows exactly where you're at, so to speak, uh, because New Mexico is kind of a big square place. Um, it so is. moving moving forward in the future, are there places that you, you're just dying to go herp? Well, Peru, of course. <laughs> Everybody wants to come to Peru. I get that. Well, we had we had Matt Cage come and speak at our Christmas banquet a few years ago, and I've 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 always wanted to go to South America since I was a kid. I mean, we had someone from our church who served a mission down in Brazil, and he was telling us that he saw a big you know big boa constrictor or something, and I thought, well, that's where I want to go. <laughs> yeah. So Matt Cage got you hooked. That's interesting. Um, yeah, but for well, me, it was Dick Bartlett. Up the idea and, and showed me that it was plausible. You know that 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 it was actually affordable. You know it, you, you have to make some preparations, obviously, but it was actually an affordable thing, attainable thing. Yeah. Well, I had kind of the same thing. I had Dick, Dick Bartlett come to a, a symposium I was at and showed all these great slides from of Peruvian amphibians and reptiles. And I'd always wanted to go, but that really got my gears grinding, you know, um, trying to make that possible. And it didn't take too much long to too much longer for me to do that. So I, I totally get where you're at with that. So anywhere else that looks interesting to you? Um, Oh, you know, um, one of my biggest regrets, um, I actually lived in Hong Kong for six weeks and I was not a herper at the time. And I'm just so kicking myself. I mean, I remember looking up hikes and stuff because I was really into hiking at the time. And, um, and I always wanted to go, but I never could have anyone to go with me. Um, because they, they said, you know, a white person out hiking and it's not a good situation there in some of those areas. But, um, so I could never find anyone who would, whose schedule would work out that I could go with. Um, but I remember looking up and so the things you need to watch out for, you know, bamboo vipers and Chinese cobras. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I'm kind of scared, but I would still love to see one, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, that's too bad you didn't have a chance to go out. That's a, a great place yeah. to find herbs. Is what it is. Just gives me an excuse to go back. Yeah. Well, I might be able to help you if you, if you uh, make it back there. Let me know. I have I have some peeps there who can. Who can help you uh, find yeah, some I've, stuff? I've, so I know some people too. So, oh good. But, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I if I'm going somewhere, I try to kind of talk to people, and usually it involves a phone call to Tim Warfel. He'll usually help me out find someone. <laughs> yeah. If he can't help you, he knows who can. He sent people to me too, so it goes both ways, you know. Yeah, that's the way it works. Yep. How about uh, anywhere in uh, Eastern United States? Interesting. Florida or you know, Snake Road or something like that? 
uh, Snake Road is definitely on my list. Um, we were thinking about going this year. Um, I don't know if that'll happen though, but definitely within the next couple of years. Uh, part of my problem is uh, with that is it, it's typically the time to go is in October, and that's also um, here in Albuquerque we have our big uh, balloon festival, and I crew for a balloon, so it, it makes it difficult to to get away. Ah, uh-huh. so how? <clears throat> excuse me. How long is the balloon festival? It's uh, it's two week two weeks. It, well, it's two weekends with the week in between, and it's the very beginning of October. So, and it's uh. It's it's huge. So a balloon crew that means you're you're helping uh, inflate it and set it up and all that and catch it and chase it and catch it and all that kind of thing. Yep, all that we fly the big. Uh, it's, it's actually for our or it's actually for our company, and so it's a it's a big um, big black widow that flies through the sky. What? That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you, do you have a picture of that? I'd like to see a picture of that. I sometime. do. I do. I do. I'll send you a picture of it. Okay. That would be awesome. Uh, so do you, you uh, are you on the setup crew or do you get to fly around in the balloon too? Or I, I got up in it once um, and I've been doing it for about three years. So um, cool. there's just not a lot of, it's not a very big basket. So there's not a lot of room. Um, and, you know, we try and try and get everyone up at least once. And, and then, you know, you have the days you go and you can't fly. So sure. Sure. Well, sounds like you're due to go up again soon, though. Oh yeah, I, I still need to get my wife up too. So. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. That sounds interesting. It's it's funny how I you know I know people a little bit, and when I talk to them on the show, I just learn so many cool things that I would have had no idea. That's the fun part for me. Yeah, you know, I was, I was thinking about it that um that uh, Four Corners trip. Everyone on that trip i've herped with again except you well i guess we're gonna have to fix that at some point i yeah i mean we were supposed to go up to the colorado trip this year but we ended up not going due due to covid restrictions but yeah i'd like to get to new mexico again now apparently there's something called uh leptember (laughs) you want to explain what leptember is (laughs) Well, I've, I've never actually heard that term, but yeah, you can't find them in September. You can find Lepidus in September, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I got a, uh, I saw a post from my uh, my buddy Eric McCormick, who's from oh, yeah. Artesia, and he's he was uh, out for Leptember. So uh, the first uh, first kind of after that trip I took to the um, Herb Society, the the next um, fall. Went on a trip with um, a few people, uh, Bill Gorham, Chris uh, Riccioni, I think that's how you say his last name. And um, Eric McCormick was there as well. A few other people that I didn't really know. Um, and we went in and um, went up and down to the Gila National Forest. And we went through this, we kind of separated ways. It was me, Bill, and Chris, and my wife, and Eric, and his his friends that he brought with over from Artesia uh, went up this other Canyon and we, we found the you know, like one tree frog under this talus slide that almost kills us. And then um, we come back and Eric's got the bag, you know, and he's got this beautiful green male claw, beautiful, beautiful snake. And it was amazing. And then we're going to photograph it. We're walking through this Creek 
and um, he's got the bag sitting there. We've all got hooks, and there's this this guy out in the it's a campground, and he's out in the creek, you know, washing his dishes, and and he says, "Oh, don't mind me. I'm just on dish duty," and kind of starts to walk away, and then he kind of looks back at us and says, "What are you guys doing?" Well, we're looking for snakes, and he says, "Oh." You guys want to know where a diamondback lives? And we're like, well, sure. Like it's, you know, in our heads, we're saying that's probably not a diamondback, probably a black tail, but, but sure. And he takes us and yeah, right over here in this rocket. Sure enough, little lepidus was sitting right there. Ah, the diamondback lepidus. That's the first and only time I've been led to a snake by a hippie. Well, at some point, I will be getting out to New Mexico. I, I, I can't wait to really get out there. There's a, some, I need some lizards, and I'd really like to maybe have a shot at those salamanders someday. So uh, I'm, I'm quite sure at yeah, some point you and I will, will, will herp together again. So Yeah, for sure. I've, I've found pretty much all the lizards in the state, too. So Okay. Uh, the, one, the one that's difficult is the, the gray checkered whip. Yeah, that's the most difficult, probably. But um, only mm-hmm. one little area, and it's mostly on private property, so this makes it difficult. I see. Well, there's plenty of other ones to see, too, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what else can you tell me uh, about yourself and about your herping um, obsession? Well, I don't know. I just, I've always liked to just get outside. Um, you know, it just kind of morphed over the time. You know, I've always enjoyed hiking, and I started a hiking club at my um, college in Hawaii, um, found a Japanese wrinkled frog on a hike. That was fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, you get all kinds of stuff in Hawaii. (laughs) So, um, I'm, I'm thinking about this and folks, you young folks out there, uh, if you're thinking about going to college, I mean, why not Hawaii? That sounds pretty awesome to me. Uh, you know, it was, it was a great way to do it. Um, I'm only going to be there for four years. Um, you know, if, if you're there for longer than that, you know, it's like anytime you want to go on vacation or anything, it's expensive. I mean, you know, it's, it's a flight to Hawaii. It's not cheap. Well, it's kind of cheap right now, but you just have to quarantine for two weeks, but you know, right. Um, yeah, the, the airfare gets pricey. I mean, we're talking, you know, four or 500 bucks just to go home for Christmas. And as a poor college student, that's, that's not the easiest thing to swing, but, uh, I just come home for Christmas every year, and that was it. Well, if you got to be stuck somewhere because you don't have enough money, Hawaii is not a bad place. Well, well, that's exactly it. And like I said, went hiking. I had um, snorkeling gear. We went snorkeling all the time. We'd go night diving a lot. It was a lot of fun. Swam with sharks. Swam with sea turtles. Swam with dolphins. It was great. Wow. So, what kind of sharks did you see? Uh, sandbar sharks. Oh, okay. Was, uh, they do. Uh, wow. Yeah, they, they do a cage. Um, you know, you go out there to this boat where they, it's it's where they check. Um, they do they have some kind of crab traps or something there, and they they just toss the entrails over the edge when they're done. So the the sharks are always there. <laughs> so you just drop the cage wow. and just jump in, and they're right there. So sometimes they see tiger sharks there too, um, but we only saw the sandbar sharks. Yeah, uh, and sea turtles, of course, which are, you know, as cool as can be, so. Oh, super cool. I was so excited the first time I ever saw one, and then uh, that was just from the shore. Um, saw one, and I thought that was the coolest thing. Just barely saw it. It's just this 
just its head and kind of part of the shell sticking out of the water and you know swimming around in the surf so it wasn't very easy to see but then after snorkeling and finding them it's just amazing this how graceful they are in the water is just amazing yeah you know they're perfect shape for cutting through the ocean you know they are they are in fact one of my friends um she was like hey we're, a bunch of us are going on a whale watch this weekend do you want to come with us and i'm like well sure Let's see some humpback whales why not you know as we go out there and it's on this boat and it's just it's basically a raft with a motor on it it was very very small there are only about four or five of us and um I said, do you guys mind if we stop at this place right here? There's uh, been a, sea, a an injured sea turtle reported. We just want to check and see if it's at this area. This is it's called a cleaning station. You know, they all the turtles come here, and then the the fish come and eat all the algae off their shells, and and they get in the water. And they because we're on a whale watch, and they didn't have insurance insurance reasons. We had to stay on the boat. Um, they said, yeah, there's probably about ten to fifteen turtles down there. And we're like, oh my gosh. Um, and so we got done with our whale watch, saw a couple humpbacks and then we're coming back and we get back to the shop and they said, you know, later on, um, if you guys want to, um, you can come along with us and look for those, that turtle again, you know, not as part of an actual tour, just as friends going out on the ocean. We can do that. Okay. So we went and swam with, you know, 20, 30 sea turtles and found the turtle that was injured and rescued it. So that was really cool. That's pretty awesome. All of what you just told me was awesome. Humpback whales, sharks, sea turtles, sea turtle rescue. That's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of um, the, uh, you get a lot of fishing that goes on and uh, the fishing line gets wrapped around their flippers and um, yeah, to, you know, it just starts cutting into them. And this one was so far gone. They actually had to amputate the flipper. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, so they they rehabilitate them and stuff, you know, make sure they can swim straight before they send them back out into the wild. But wow, well, that's that whole thing is pretty cool. Well, I have to I have to say I'm I'm just so happy to talk to you, and uh, at some point I look forward to talking to you in person and uh, hearing more about some of this stuff. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm that um. That, that Four Corners trip really made an impression on me, and everyone I met there was just great, and everyone there was just so great, and it was just, you know, finding all those rattlesnakes was just incredible. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us, and it was it's just great to talk to you, and and uh, very interesting to hear what you've been up to, and uh, I'm tickled with the, with the whole thing with the kids. That's just, that was a lot of fun, so. Did I lose you? You're cutting in and out. Okay. Um, oh, there you are. there you are. Here I am. Yes. So I I just uh, I'm kind of wrapping this up, and I'll have to edit this later. But I, I just want to say thanks yeah, for no coming on the show, and uh, I, I appreciate talking to you about all this cool stuff. And I look forward to uh, seeing you out somewhere, maybe at Four Corners, or maybe somewhere else in New Mexico. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're in town. Let me know. Will do. And uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed this with Josh Ems, and uh, we'll cut it off here now, Josh. All right.
Well, hello, everyone. We've got another segment of our origin stories. And today I am talking with Kamel Shapansky. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's a dream coming true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you agreed to come on the show. I'm always looking for people to talk to. And uh, uh, Josh Holbrook met, recommended that that I get you on the show and uh, because uh, you guys have had a a little connection there in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you, you're currently living in North Carolina, but uh, tell us a little bit about about yourself, where you're from, and why uh, why you moved to North Carolina, that kind of thing, if you want to, whatever you care to share with us. Um, yeah, so my name came from Poland. I was born there, uh, but I was raised in Germany. That's where the accent comes from. Ah. So, um, yeah, I, I would consider myself German. Okay. And... Um, I, my wife and I, we had a very comfortable and quiet life in, in Germany, and this bored us a little bit. So we were looking out um, for other places to live, to start a little adventure. And um, I, I work in a small field, um, and they were looking for someone to come to North Carolina to establish uh, their, their office here and to ah. establish the, the support team and the training here. And um, North Carolina was always a dream uh, location for me, being a hotspot for salamanders on this planet. I see. So this added up nicely. Yeah. <laughs> so here you are. You were in the Charlotte area of North Correct. Carolina. Yeah. And uh, as I've mentioned to Josh Holbrook, I think North Carolina should be called Salamandria. Yeah, I agree to that. <laughs> I thought you might. I would support uh, that, yes. And salamanders are your, your main interest, correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I like to see other herbs too when uh -huh. I stumble upon them, but I won't, be go out, I, I won't go out into the field looking for them. Okay. Perhaps alligators. Oh. Um, well, they're, you know, they're tetrapods, so mm -hmm. they're sort Similar of like habitat. salamanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Very good. Uh, well, you know, I won't. I certainly don't uh, hold any of that against you, and uh, I, I think uh, uh, salamanders are a little bit under underrepresented on this show. So, uh, I don't mm -hmm. think I've had a guest on here to talk about salamanders since uh, I had uh, my buddy Nick come on and talk about hellbenders a long time ago. Seems like last summer. That was a great show. Yeah, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, hellbenders are are a special kind of salamander, and uh, I uh, understand you're still looking for hellbenders. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I, I spent several nights and trips out there looking for them. And I got very, very close. But I never saw one myself in the wild, unfortunately. I was like two minutes away from one. My buddies were on the same river. Uh, and they had found one. They sent me pictures via smartphone. But I was camping with my family. And I couldn't abandon, abandon them. No, and so, you, can, uh, you can only do that once. Yeah, there was, <laughs> but but the, I was tortured internally. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, tell us. I mean, how did you how did you get here? What happened? Uh, to, what ignited this interest in in salamanders with you? Oh, the salamanders um, they came pretty late, actually. So um, it started off with animals in general. So when we moved from Poland to Germany, my parents were looking for something to um, wake my interest in learning German. And so they gave me a few options. And um, this was 
in the end, end of the 80s and the very early 90s. So I was like six years old. Okay. And there were those folders. You would get a folder and every week you would get a letter uh, ascending of, with some sheets, with some animal sheets. So this ah. is a monkey or this is a specific monkey. And there were, there were also some sheets about this is a gecko and this is a tortoise. And um, so they used this to keep me reading and to keep me uh, learning German. And I knew these folders by heart. It was a big shelf of folders. So my interest in animals was there. And um, someday uh, I got a tortoise, a Russian tortoise. I was six and a half, something like that. Ah. She's, she's still around. So uh, she's over 30 years um, now with my parents. Um, oh, good. And um, that, was, that, was, that was it for a long, long time. Until um, I, had a, I, I got a friend who had fish. And um, with him, I had a battle to uh, learn again a book, a certain book. There's a aquarium atlas in, German, in Germany, mm-hmm. um, lists all those fishes. And there was a tiny chapter in the very end about... Um, other animals you can keep in an aquarium. And there were axolotls, there were those uh, diverse salamanders there. And this kind of caught my attention. I was 15, 16 back then. And and then I saw a Chinese fire-bellied newt in a a pet shop. And I spent my entire money that I had had with me that day. I emptied my wallet to to take it home. And... um, I had no idea what to do with it at home. Ah. So my next money that I got was spent on books. And this was 1999, something like this. So the internet was still pretty young. Yes. And in Germany, we had this big forum. Back then, forums were still alive. Uh, you know that. You know that. I, yes. I, yeah, yes. A big one, too. <laughs> and <laughs> there was this forum w- crowded with people who keep only newts and salamanders. And uh, many of them were members of the German Herpetological Society, the DGHT. And okay. they have this annual meeting um, for the working group Urodela, uh, Agi Urodela. So I had to go there. This was the place to go when you are uh, German speaking and into salamanders. You have to meet with your people. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I went there and I, and there, this was my paradise. This was my crowd. <laughs> I, I was super intimidated. I mean, uh, all, all those big names of Salamander World have been there. Uh, Max Barebom was still there. Um, Jean Raffaeli. And um, I was you know, 16 and a half or something. I, I was taller than most of them already. <laughs> but I was still <laughs> looking up to them, if you know what I mean. Sure. And um, I, I was, I think... My first tendency there, I was mute for a weekend. I didn't say ah. too much. I was just um, intimidated uh, a lot. There's a lot to take in too, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it was incredible. They had those presentations on on the field trips where they went somewhere. Um, Iraq was a big topic back then. Uh, ah, so, yeah. so they went there for those salamanders. Um, mm-hmm. Tur- Turkey was a big topic. And... Um, I saw all these things and I wanted to learn more. I wanted to absorb more. And so I got engaged in this group. Um, I'm doing the, the website for nearly 20 years now. Oh, cool. So um, that's, that's kind of how I got into salamanders, yeah. 
And did you go out and and get uh, try to find the local newt species and things like that? Of course, yes, yes, yeah. um, all of them. Wherever I wherever I am, actually, I try to find them. So uh, in Europe, uh, it's it's pretty easy because the, we have those parks uh, where mm-hmm. they live in those ponds. Newts are pretty simple, and if you're there at the right season, uh, they're, they're nice to find. Uh, or the fire salamanders, iconic oh. animals. They live often in those old parks with castles and little ruins inside. So it's fun. Cool. It's fun. So you, you can combine culture, history, and um, salamanders. Uh, that's just my game. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I, I also like talking about fire salamanders Yes, yet again, because uh, on the uh, episode I recorded on our Thanksgiving holiday, I talked to Jeroen uh, uh, Spaybrook about uh, fire salamanders. That's mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about. So. Uh, I welcome all conversations about fire salamanders. So <laughs> I think they're pretty cool. They, they are awesome. They are awesome. Um, the last place uh, where I lived before um, before coming here to the U.S. was Heidelberg. Um, it's a uh, in the USA. It's pretty known uh, because it used to be a huge military base for the for the mm-hmm. U.S. Army or Air Force, perhaps both. Before my time, now now it's all yes. uh, just empty buildings. But they have this huge castle up there, which draws a million visitors a year or so. It's crowded with people. They're everywhere. It's burned down for centuries now, but the ruins still attract people. It has um, the largest wine keg on the planet, which also is a, it's a nice fun fact because it's a wine region, so we can also get ah, some wine. Yeah, um, It's the largest wine wooden wine keg, an ancient one. Anyways, gotcha. anyways it's a crowded place. And um, it, they have those little ponds there, uh, actually fountains for your amusement. And in this place, there are still fire salamanders. So September 2019 was the last time I went there for uh, the company that I work for. And we had this big uh, company gathering with our customers and so on. It was like 200 people or so. And while everybody was in this big room drinking, eating, talking about stuff, I met other customers of ours and co- co-workers who are actually into salamanders. And so, ah. we, so we ditched and um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we took some glasses of wine with us, obviously, and we went herping in the middle of the night in this castle and we found many fire salamanders and alpine nudes. <laughs> this was oh, my man. business event. <laughs> oh, I love I love this story. <laughs> yeah. Just amazing, and and to have a, a fellow um, salamander uh, enthusiasts in your among your customers, that's pretty cool too. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, actually, uh, yeah. For for this topic, yes, um, I, I'm very lucky because I'm in industrial CT, so computer tomography, and uh, so we are a software company. And I'm the lucky chosen one, being a salamander nerd, that I get to work with those people who are in academia. And yes. they are often into herpetology. So um, uh, I meet those people who use computer tomography for um, herpetological purposes. Okay. So recently they described this little chameleon type of uh, lizard in amber. All these things oh. are... Yeah. So that's done with our software, the the evaluation and everything, and wow. and I teach and I support these people how to do that. Now that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's, cool. that's a little cherry top on my job because yeah. the rest is the rest is not interesting. It's technical, but but this is right. 
lizards and amber. I mean, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there was just something in the news about that. I think like this past summer, uh, if I remember, or maybe it was spring about that. They were able to describe it. Yeah. It was recently in, in the Science uh, magazine. Yeah. Published, I think, uh, November that was the latest oh, release. Oh, okay. That. I've lost all track of time, so um, <laughs> you'll have to forgive me there. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what year it is. Uh, but I, I was, a question occurred to me, too, while we're talking. Um, do salamander enthusiasts have a name for themselves themselves other than salamander enthusiasts? Or is there, a, do you call yourselves, you know, the new people? Or what is there, is there a phrase that works? Um, I must say, I, I like Ethan Kozak. Uh, I've, oh, I follow yeah. him on Twitter. I love his stuff. Uh, yeah. Like Mud Puppy, he has also this podcast and and things like this. And he calls himself the nutist. And I must yes. admit that I uh, took this phrase a little bit um, yes. here when I when I talk to uh, English speaking people. In in German, it's Molchler. Molch is the nude. Okay. And La is um, an ending that you use to uh, for a group of people. And so this. Uh, uh, nudist thing of Ethan actually meets this pretty well. Cool. You know, perhaps you could okay. say Nutler, but um, uh, Nutler. Nutist. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Ethan did the avatar for the for my show. I do. Yes, I, I yeah. see his okay. avatars all over Twitter. Yeah, and um, they are just amazing. Yeah, you got to go with him. So shout out to Ethan for that. But uh, okay, so we've we've got the. Nutus and uh, a neuter that doesn't sound good at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nutler, I would say. I, I would use, I would say newt and then ler, l e r, perhaps. Newt, neutler. I, I mm-hmm. okay, uh, cool. And the German, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, but I'll look it up <laughs> later. <laughs> but, I can uh, send it to you uh, separately. <laughs> that'd be that'd be great. So I'm always interested in, in jargon mm-hmm. and things like that. And and so you sort of get you you cut your teeth on this in in germany and then uh, it sounds like salamanders might have been a lure for you to go to north carolina right it's not just mm-hmm. something different it's also something different with a big pile of salamanders on top right it's it's my epicenter it's uh, yeah. uh i mean i have the smokies like three and a half hours away if i fly deep which is not very um well seen here in the u.s <laughs> I, i'm in one and a half hours in the blue ridge and um, yeah it's incredible. I have four species of salamanders living around my house. That's very cool. Amazing. I have um, I have a huge population of uh, marble salamanders, Ambistoma opacum, um, perhaps 35 seconds away from my home. They're, they're reproducing ponds and everything. It's I, I love it. I love it. It's um, that's awesome. Fantastic place. That's awesome. What other species? What are the other three species? I'm just curious now. Um, the dusky salamander, Desmognathus fuscus, Eurycea um, cirigera, uh-huh. the southern two lines. Sorry, I'm not super good with those common names. So sure, um, southern two lined and spotted salamanders, Ambistoma maculatum. Oh, okay, okay, very good. Uh, so that's a nice representation right there around your house. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Uh, recently, uh, a newt came by. And you stop oh. by. So um, that's also a, so five species now, <laughs> five species. I love it. That's mm-hmm. a great uh, opening line from some book, right? A newt stop by. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> and, and, and only a, a newtler could appreciate that, right? 
Oh yes, uh, I, <laughs> I took I took pictures and sent it all to my friends in Germany who uh, died in, of jealousy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you still got some work to do in that in the Carolinas though, as far as finding thing. You have to find a hellbender still and yes. other things you're still looking for, correct? Mud puppies. Um I wanted actually uh, to go out on Friday, but it didn't work out. Um so I'm I'm still looking for mud puppies. I am not very good with Allosura Triton. Um so the rat salamanders and the mud salamanders. Mud Salamanders, uh -huh. I got big help from Josh Holbrook. Mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate that. It was a must-see species for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Sand Hills Uricea, which was recently now described as uh, Arenicola, Uricea Arenicola. Yeah. Uh, Arenicola. So um, I saw plenty larvae, but I haven't seen an adult yet. So oh, that's okay. now on the list. I love the Sand Hills. I, they're like two <clears throat> hours away from here. Um, and I loved going there. It reminds me of um, Poland a little bit because with the sandy grounds and those pine trees and the smell. Uh huh. It's f a fantastic place. But here you have those carnivorous plants. Oh yeah, yeah. Sna diverse snakes, um, even cool mm -hmm. frogs. I, I'm not I'm not very fond of frogs, but you have those um, nice pine barren frogs here. Yeah, I saw these yeah. this spring. Fantastic animals. Yeah. I just got my first ones uh, this pet this summer. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to New Jersey to get them, but I, I know they're found down there in, in the in those piney uh, sandy pine areas of uh, Carolina uh, as well. And I've been to the place where that that new salamander is from. And uh, when I had visited that place, I I've been there a few times, but uh, I had no idea that there was a, a you know a new form there. I don't know what I would have done if I would have found it, but. Uh, but I, I had heard through the grapevine that there's, you know, some new form that may someday be described as a, mm -hmm. a new species. And uh, then the last time I was in that area, and I would look for that, but came up empty-handed. So, so I'd, I'd still like to see that one. I've seen a few pictures on the on uh, social media this week, and it looks awesome. It's a it's a mm -hmm. good-looking little salamander. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you if you want to come down south now, um, you're welcome. I know where the larvae are, so perhaps we will find some adults too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have unfinished business in that area, as, as you may know. And, of course, Josh is always telling me to come down there and, and uh, hang out and find some stuff. So so mm -hmm. I may I may see you down there yet. Also, uh, you've gone up and you've got the, a lot of the plethodontids, like uh, the Yonalasi salamander mm -hmm. and things like that. And yeah. The Yonalasi salamander, for me, was a huge target species that I – urgently wanted to see because it's so unique and um, I went out there a few times looking for them without really knowing where to look for them because the descriptions in the books are one thing um, yeah. the, the habitat and the microhabitat are a different one and uh, so I moved here with my wife then we uh, reproduced and this took away some time and this year uh, I started looking for them again in places that I that I knew uh, that might be suitable. Mm -hmm. And this year I found them. And after I found the first one, I found them on every trip that I was even near to their distribution. Oh, really? Cool. For me, the Yonalossi salamander is the second easiest plethodon that I was that that was to find so far. Only Plethodon Montanus, this uh, great cheeked one, was easier. Uh-huh. But uh Yonalossi, this uh unicorn of salamanders. Um, <laughs> it's pretty consistent for me right now. 
you're hitting the right spots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's the iconic plethodon. It's just an amazing representation of that genus. I've, I've seen a few and every time I see one, I'm just amazed by, it. I just want to sit and look at it for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't seem like just a coloration on those things. They just don't seem real. And, and of course there are kind of a robust plethodontid too. You know, they're not, uh, they're not a squiggly little redback. They're, uh, yeah. they've got some, some heft and some muscle to them. Mm-hmm. The only one that compares that I actually, I saw two species that compare to that. Uh, this plethodon longicruz, this bat cave uh, salamander, however oh. it's called. Um, yeah. I saw one in a crevice. I think that was the largest plethodon I've ever seen, but I couldn't take a picture of it because it just disappeared down there. And then in June, I went to Georgia with Tristan Clark to Pigeon Mountain and saw the Pigeon Mountain ah. salamanders. And we, we hit a good night. It was warm. It was humid. And they were all over the place. And these are also some hefty salamanders. Yeah, mm. I agree. Those are those are perhaps just as iconic, and uh, they're beautiful. Their colors match the, their surroundings. Oh yeah, perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I, I I feel lucky that I've been able to to see a few of those. And we've been there at night, and um, sometimes I would pass one, and uh, Tristan would say, "Hey, here's one," and I said, "Where? I don't see it." While they're so vividly colored, the stones around them are too. So. They blend right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I really like about those, or at least the ones that I, I photographed, is they've got these little white spots on their back that, uh, you know, you, you see one on on a rocky area and you take a picture of it, flash photo. Mm-hmm. And the flash photo that you have the little spots on the salamander and they just match the little sparkly bits on on the rocks as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's a very, you know, interesting double layer of concealment for those things. You know, it's not... Not just the colors, but they also mimic the uh, reflections that that you would get back from you know mineral little minerals in the rocks. So mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah, there and what I like about the U.S. a lot is that wherever you go, you can actually go salamander searching, pretty much all yep. throughout the year. So uh, we went camping a lot this year because we wanted to avoid any hotels and so on, and. Um, Pretty much anywhere where we where we went, I went salamander searching. Yes, yeah. And um, one of my favorite species is the cave salamander here that uh-huh. I really enjoy a lot. Uh, we went to Virginia, and um, I went on a night hike. It took me forty five minutes. I saw ten animals just sitting there, being beautiful, spectacular. Yeah, nighttime is the right time mm-hmm. for salamandering. Yeah. yeah. When I first started out, salamander was something you found when you lifted a rock, mm-hmm. you know, during the day. And then I don't remember exactly when, but there was a, at some point I was out in the woods at night and, you know, there are plethodontids crawling on logs and on the ground and just, just a bunch of them. And it's like, Oh, holy cow. You know, I, I'm not doing this right. <laughs> I need to, yeah. you know, I need to get a flashlight and go out in the woods at night and, and uh, see a lot more. Yeah. Th- that's what I prefer. Meanwhile. So, um, because I, I don't like lifting stones and, and locks this yeah. much to not destroy what's underneath. I'm, I'm always, right. to be honest, I'm always afraid that I would smash an animal when I do that. Occasionally, I still do it, especially when I we're out on a hike with a family or on a little stroll. And I do that also to uh, engage my daughter in it. She does right. that. She does that. Meanwhile, as well, just to annoy my wife, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um, I, I usually I prefer going out at night. And um, this year I went out to the Blue Ridge and I found uh, Yonalasi salamanders and those gray-cheeked salamanders, especially juveniles, up to like five feet high on, on, on trees or in bushes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, this was really amazing to me. Also, the Desmognathus, that small dusky salamanders, I have no idea which species this is. Arrestus, Carolinensis, whatever. I, I just read a paper recently um, that, no, it's not futile to, to define species in this genus, but it's very difficult. And there are like 50 yes. species awaiting us or something. Um, and also, I found also these guys on those rhododendron trees up there. And what you usually read about them is that they are ground dwellers at the side of the creek, perhaps on a stone, um, and these things. But no, these guys were out in the open, sitting on a leaf, waiting for some mosquitoes to come by to, to snag them. It reminds me, when you're talking about that too, I've seen like pictures of from folks that do research on flatwood salamanders down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And pictures of these uh, flatwoods these little ambistomatids climbing up like turkey grass. You know, mm-hmm. they're, you know, I don't know, a foot or more off the ground, just kind of hanging on to these <laughs> stalks of, of grass and whatnot. It's just a kind of an amazing thing. You don't, it's not something you think about until you, and, and now, you know, after seeing things like that and going out at night for lots of different salamanders, you know, you can sit there on, on a rainy night in the spring, even if you're, not going anywhere you can you just know the salamanders are out there walking around you know mm-hmm. they're that they're active and it also reminds me you know when i when i go down to peru and i always have to mention peru i know uh, i was waiting for it it's a law <laughs> but we we uh if we get a good rain during the day we get the uh, uh bolita glossa mm-hmm. mushroom tongue salamanders come out and sometimes we find them a good distance off the ground more than you know more than a meter off the ground on on plants, you know, they're just hanging out on a leaf and, uh, it's always amazing to see. And I can keep my eyes open for those. And those things have this amazing, if you like come up to one on a leaf and you poke it with your finger, it does sort of this snap body snapping thing. And it just flips itself away. Mm-hmm. It might land on another leaf. It might land on the ground, but it, it's almost like a, a, a spring action and it just sort of goes and it's a sideways movement. It's not a forward or uh, they don't go forward or reverse. They, they just kind of fling themselves to the side. It's really kind of interesting. I'd like to be able to catch that in, in slow motion and see what exactly they're actually doing. So, You just uh, sold me on Peru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> oh. But uh, anyway, like you, I, I find all this stuff fascinating. So, But a night nighttime is really just um, the better time to search for them, I learned. I, I was helping uh, forever in Germany uh, during the salamanders and ma- mainly toad and frog migrations. So Germany is way denser populated than the US are. And um, we have plenty of roads that cut through woods or through pond areas. Mm-hmm. And the salamanders, mostly newts actually, and toads and frogs would migrate from one, one side to the other, crossing those roads and getting smashed. So what people do is similar to those erosion fences that you have here, uh, they would put up these fences along you know, along the road with buckets dug into the ground. And so ah. the animals fa- fall into those buckets. And um, you then uh, determine the sex, you determine the the gender. I don't know which one is mm-hmm. the better 
So you, you, so you determine the gender of them, you determine the species, uh -huh. uh, you count them obviously to keep a uh, population monitoring, and I've uh -huh. carried over hundreds, thousands, I guess, of toads, frogs, uh, newts over, over to the other side, uh, to the pond, I so see, they can reproduce. Uh, one of these things I was actually monitoring for a few years while being still in school, and um, we really helped um, preserving and even improving the population of the crested newt, Triturus cristatus. Um, that's an iconic species of Europe, the ones with the big mm -hmm. crests on, on, on their backs. Um, yeah. And they are uh, well protected all over Europe. And so this was a good success back then. So you reduced the overall mortality of, of mm -hmm. uh, the migrating adults. Yeah. And then oh. I went to California a few times. I uh, for the for the work that I do, I sometimes have to travel, and I went to um, the Silicon Valley, uh, being a software mm -hmm. guy. Um, so mainly uh, to, to the San Jose area, and I went to a place close to Los Gatos, um, the Lexington Reservoir. It's mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, there's a lady she. Uh, I just learned about her recently. She does that for years now. But I went there in March this year. This was my last trip. I went from California directly to the home office. And it was the perfect timing because the Tarija, those Californian youths, ah. they were on this road. And I've never seen something. I, I mean, I was doing those salmon immigrations for years. But something like there on this reservoir at night, I haven't seen this in my life. They were all over the place, huge females, huge males, just walking o over this little road, and um, stunning. How would you characterize it? Thousands? Is that safe hundreds? To say? Hu hundreds? Hundreds? Okay. Hundreds. All right. Uh, and there's this, yeah. there, there's a lady. Uh, I forgot her name. Unfortunately, she does. She monitors this population for years. She puts all of them on 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 iNaturalist. Which I saw just after the fact because I thought, oh wow, I found some, so perhaps I should put it on there. And so, oh wow, okay, this place is just full with pins, and she, she has a few uh, articles being released about her doing this work. But um, that was a phenomenal place, huh? And so, what is she? Is she studying them, or is she also doing the uh, helping them across the road like you did? Um, she, I, th I think she picks them up when she sees them on a road. Um, she monitors okay. them. She, she does the count. She comes then on the next morning to uh, pick up the dead ones, the flat ones. Okay. Um, and I she see. documents 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 all of them. She's a uh, retired uh, university person, it seems. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, it sounds familiar. Over time, you hear about people in various communities. And, and uh, oftentimes in, in the eastern United States, people that... Uh, come across a situation like that and they're like, well, we got to do something. And so they, they put up signs and then they, they get their reflective vests on and slow traffic down. And, you know, the, so you've got, mm -hmm. you know, you might have a half dozen people or more from some small community helping with the migration just to make sure those things get across the road. And I always think that's cool when I want to hear about those things. You know, they have those big signs, they're nude crossing, nude Xing. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the sign is too big for my luggage. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, yeah, uh, there are plenty of people who collect those road signs uh, with whatever on them. Uh, but this was uh, the first road sign I saw in my life that I urgently wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't blame you, but yeah, that's probably not a good idea to 
try to take that on the plane. It's, it's, it's still there. It's still there. Um, I just took plenty selfies with it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. It's it's great to talk to you about all this. Are you are there targets other than we talked about Hellbender? I know that's one of your mm-hmm. targets. Is other places you want to visit and hotspots and species that you're interested in seeing? I, I fell in love with California, and there are still several species I haven't seen them uh, yet. So uh, Anidas is a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I had a trip planned to California in April, a vacation trip this time. Um, and I wanted to see some of the Ensatinas uh, of the Sierra Nevada, oh. for example, or some Anidas there. Um, yeah, that that's still on the to-do list. Uh, right. And I would love to find Amphumas, ah. the, those okay. big chunky guys. Yeah. Um, I was in I, I, I was in Florida, and I was th- going through those swamps there, um, also th- through this uh, big prairie park because I. Being lucky, uh, I, I met the right people who could, who brought me there and who, which enabled me to go out there with a dip net and, and, and ah, look for those okay. animals. So uh, it was with the Florida Wildlife Commission. Oh, cool! So, so we went with, with dip nets through the swamps, seeing those alligator eyes looking at us uh, and uh-huh. getting those sirens out of this water. Uh, Very cool. Yeah, that was fantastic. All those little newts—they have those uh, peninsula newts there. Um, mm-hmm. But the only amphuma I saw was in this uh, wildlife commission station that they had in a bucket, oh. and um, it was a juvenile. But I'm st- I'm still out there to see an amphuma. Okay, so that's a big species. I don't I don't have an amphuma yet either. Uh, I, I'm woefully deficient in the aquatic department. I I've gotten one mud puppy and a handful of hellbenders, which uh, that's not likely to happen again. Since like you, I helped out with a. A survey, but uh, I still need a bunch of those things. I've got uh, one siren, one siren species so far, so I'm missing out on a lot, and I probably should work on that a little harder, right? You know, be at the right place at the right time. And I don't know how it's for you, but for me, looking for sirens goes into the back um, because you have to go through the muck, through getting all those plants out and going through them. So looking for sirens is. This is something that I uh, enjoy doing, but I always regret it the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is a different experience, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, another big, uh, I, know, I know there are always those lifer lists uh, and so on. Yeah. So if I uh, if I had to put something on there, it would be the many line salamander, Stereohilus marginatus, uh, ah. a little ugly brown little thing. Um, I dug those. I dig those. Is there? Yeah. They're my favorites, um, so I'm I'm hoping to be able to do a tour de force to the Croatan forest and and see them. Ah, yeah, perhaps this winter. Uh, that would be good. I've seen one, mm-hmm. uh, but I I didn't get great photos of it. So, but yeah, it's it's still interesting, even you know, even though it's not uh, uh, dramatically appealing in terms of color or size or anything, but it's a very interesting species mm-hmm. nonetheless. So. I like sure would f- like to get better pictures of one of those. So. I, I like their facial expression, if you want to call it that way. They're <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're a little, they're they're odd little creature, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Probably you'd like to hit the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure you. Oh yes, uh, your giant salamanders and whatnot, right? Uh, uh, Josh Wallace. Yes, 
he he makes those uh you, you had him on a show um and and his yeah. and his pictures um uh, of those uh, Ria Cotriton those the torrents uh -huh. I think it is yeah there was you know make me want to go there yeah that's exciting stuff mm -hmm. uh, I've only seen Ancetinas from that region so I'm really interested in in going back up there to that area Oregon and Washington just to see those those iconic species for that area mm -hmm. so I understand completely <laughs> yeah. so yeah so right now not being able to travel this much um, I'm not chewing my fingernails but I might start that <laughs> looking at the pictures of other guys put that other guys post online it's well like you if I if I need a fix, I can pretty much get salamanders here every month of the year too. So I can make a little trip uh, to a couple places near me. And mm -hmm. if I need to see a redback salamander or a long tail or something like that, it's not too hard to do. So, Oh yeah. Shame on me. Long tailed salamanders. Also very big, very big item on yeah. the list. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy those a lot. We have a, a nice population of those about an hour away from me that, Mm -hmm. I usually go and see every year just to just to see and enjoy them, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't do my research really good when I went to one of the hellbender places that I've been um, told to go. And actually, um, that place is not only good for hellbenders, but also for long-tailed salamanders. It's around Boone here in North Carolina. So uh -huh. well, I saw that recently, that they, are, that they are supposed to be there, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> You just missed them. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll have to go back. That's all. Yes, absolutely. And being on vacation now, might um, I even might find the time to do so. Yeah. So you're off for the holidays. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and telling us uh, how you fell into all this. That's I always enjoy hearing these stories. I always enjoy talking about salamander. So this is a, a nice treat for me. So I appreciate that you're really excited about about uh, all of the North American species as well. So um, very cool to talk to you about it. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure. And uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really also, I'm also really happy that um, I'm able to respond to you because I listened to you for so many hours in the car going out for herping trips. <laughs> and, and it really felt like I was uh, sitting at this table, um, driving the car, not having a beer, but... Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah. really awesome to uh, to be here on the show. It's kind of meta, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. And and nothing tickles me more than hearing people tell me, "Oh, I listened to you in the car while we went herping somewhere, or we were driving to X to see Y or whatever." I just love to hear that. That's just ma makes me happy because it feels like that's exactly what I want everybody to do. I want you all to get in your car and go somewhere and see something cool, and then listen to me while while you go there. Yeah. You, so. you and your guests are my company. <laughs> awesome. Well, you can accompany yourself on your next trip then. I will. It's pretty vain though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. We're recording another one of our origin stories series, and today we're talking to Deb Crone. Welcome to the show, Deb. Hello, Mike. Good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It is my honor to be here. You are probably one of my closer uh, interviews. You're being in the Chicago area and I being um, a couple hours south. So 
Uh, my last show, I talked to somebody in Belgium, and before that, I talked to somebody in Australia. So uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, now I'm talking to somebody really close, but it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. So right, two hours could be across the world right now. So yep, it's a miracle, I tell you. So uh, thanks, thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, I want to. Uh, with this origin stories, you want to get into how people how people come into amphibians and reptiles and uh, they get their backstory and what they're up to currently. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I got into all of this because I love animals, every single one. <laughs> I have absolutely uh, no no problem loving everything that's out there. So that's how it started. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved animals knew I wanted to do something with animals as a career. Uh, when you're a kid, I think everybody says, oh, you love animals. You should be a veterinarian. That was what everyone said. And as I, I was growing up, I just said, well, I guess I'm going to be a veterinarian. But it never really felt right. Like in the back of my head, I just, I don't want to work with sick animals. Honestly, I don't think I would have ever had the brains to get through vet school. <laughs> so I just, you know, it didn't work for me. But once I got into high school, I started sending away for universities and I found wildlife biology and I found all these amazing things you could do with this degree. And that's how I headed off to Iowa State. And my degree is in uh, just bachelor's is in uh, wildlife biology. And then we had to take a specialization with that course. So I specialized in interpretation of natural resources, which is basically they teach you how to teach about nature. And um, I fell in to my dream job. It's just like all these little steps along the way just led me exactly to where I am. And I am honored to be here. So <laughs> that's kind of it in a nutshell. And you are uh, you are the frog lady. I am. So you, gotta, you, you have to explain what, what that means and what that is. So I once I graduated... Uh, university, I went into environmental education and I worked for, I worked for a while in Iowa at a nature center, loved that. My husband's from this area. So he, he was sick of the middle of Iowa. So he drug me back to the Chicago area. Um, and then I worked for the Will County Forest Preserve for many years and loved that job as well. Uh, in that interim, I discovered the Chicago Herpetological Society. I was like, yes. oh, these people love reptiles and amphibians. I think maybe I should go check it out. Uh, the first meeting, I felt like I had come home. <laughs> I walked in the door and all these people had reptiles and amphibians and they were so welcoming and so weird. And I was like, yes, this is where I belong. These so, are my people. These are my people. And they're still my people. I love those people. Uh, so, uh, so that kind of got me into the, uh, amphibian reptile, um, aspect of my career. And, uh, then I started the most insane, uh, biological, uh, project I've ever put any work into, which was having a child. <laughs> and so I had yeah. my, yeah, I had my son. And at that point, you know, as a naturalist, as an environmental educator, you really don't make enough money to go to work and put your child into daycare. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, when you're living yeah. the dream, you're not making a lot of money. I mean, you, you're not really working, but you're, you're also not making a lot of money. Right. So, so I uh, decided to stay home with him. 
um, fast forward three years of that, and I had to get back to work. So instead of going back to a, a naturalist position uh, with a forest preserve, I wanted to make my own hours, still be home with my little experiment, and uh, I started Frog Lady Presentations. So, uh, you know, along the way with the Chicago Herb Society, I adopted a gazillion reptiles and amphibians. And so my basement was full of that hobby to begin with. Uh, so I had the animals and I had the passion. I had the background. So I started my own business. And it's been about 10 years now of Frog Lady Presentations. And it's been quite the trip. Well, who do you, uh, tell us about who, what, who your target audience is and you go to schools? Where do you, where do you, where do you I go? I do. So I teach everybody. I teach everybody from preschoolers, actually even toddlers, all the way up to senior citizens. Uh, every age group is obviously a different uh, type of program, but um, I would say the vast majority of my programming is um, our school children. So mostly elementary, but I do I do some junior high and high school as well. Um, I do I do a, a pretty big array of public programs with libraries, um, senior programs. I, I, I go to country clubs. I go to Southside school, you know, Southside boys and girls clubs. I hit every gamut you can imagine. So I see every single type of person in my job. And what's amazing, Mike, is that they all have this crazy interest in reptiles and amphibians. Even if they didn't know they had a crazy interest, right? Ah. You know, they, they're they always interested. So kind of makes my job easy in a lot of ways because it's, you know, I, I do like to say my job's a, a lot like the car wreck. People at my programs, even if they're just deathly afraid of reptiles and amphibians, they can't look away. You know, <laughs> you, you, you've intrigued them yeah. somewhat. They can't look away. They're just like, ah, and then you can suck them in. You know, you can get them get them interested and, and get them maybe not so afraid. So Well, when they woke up that morning, they had no idea right. that the, the frog lady and all of her critters would be thrust upon them. Very true. Very true. <laughs> so very yeah, good. It's, it's a crazy it's a crazy job, but it's awesome. I, I and I want to put this I want to frame this in a, in what I consider proper context because on this show, I've talked to biologists and I've talked to conservation people and I've talked to field herpers. I've talked to pretty much, you know, across the board. Uh, but and a lot of those people, all they do some educational work on the side. You know, that's that's kind of the thing that some people do. But uh, but you've managed to take this lifelong interest and lifelong work and and figure out a way to make it work for you as well. But the point I'm trying to get is that it's folks like you that get to the kids early and you, there's untold numbers of organisms, mostly snakes that don't end up being smacked with a shovel because you're setting kids on the path of understanding. They may not like snakes, but at least they understand them a little bit better. And as they grow up, they become, they're a different person when it relates to animal, well, animals in general, but also things like snakes, which are always misaligned and misunderstood and, and uh, sure. always suffer, you know, at the hands of the humans. Yeah, I, I think that's my greatest goal with every program 
you know, you don't have to like these animals, but just don't hurt them. Let's share the planet with them. They deserve to be here as much as we do. Yeah. So that's that's ultimately my goal. And I think, you know, I think sometimes educators go into a room and they want, they've got all these bullet points. I'm going to, you know, you're going to learn the orders and the, the, we're going to classify stuff and you're going to know how many teeth are in a monitor. And I think my main goal, hey, just look at how cool these animals are. We share the planet with them. Let's, let's. Let's look at them. Let's let's uh, let's have some fun with them. We will will enjoy them for a little bit, and then I think when you go home, maybe you'll see one in your backyard. You will want to kill it. You know, maybe you'll yeah. think back to Toll Frog Lady and like, oh yeah, she really loved that snake. You know, this this snake has a right to be here too. So let's let it go. Yeah, that's my greatest hope for sure. It kind of, it kind of it kind of goes around to that whole Steve Irwin thing, you know, because all yeah. there's that whole generation of kids who with their butts on the floor in front of the TV watching sure. Steve Irwin sure. play with something dangerous and then put it back. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and Hey, this is cool. And we're not going to kill it. We're just going to put it back. And right. so I think it kind of ties into that, uh, which is something kids kind of have missing from their, sure. their television programming these days, unless they're watching old crocodile hunter reruns or sure. something like that. So I think, I think kids love seeing adults be passionate about something. I think that that's a lot of it that I see. They just, they love that I'm in there just goofy about these animals. They love that I'm in there um, excited and, and, uh, and they can tell them I totally love these animals. And I think, I think a lot of times adults forget that kids like to see that. They like to see, you know, adults acting like kids in some ways, passionate, um, you know, not kind of stifling it. Like I, like, like sometimes we do around kids. So I think that helps. Or in in parent mode, you know what I mean? Right, right. I'm going to lecture you now. <laughs> and that's so, that's totally the best part of my job. I go into these schools and, you know, the teacher, I, I show up, I've got all my bins of animals and I'm waiting and she's, you know, finishing up a math lesson or something. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness I didn't have to teach that. And then I go in and they're like, woohoo, she's bringing out all these live animals and I feel like the grandma of the teacher world, you know, the grandparent. Like I go in, I have a good time, and then I get to leave. I sugar them up, and then I take off. So, <laughs> as a as a grandparent, I understand that completely. <laughs> totally, yeah. it's really fun to to not have to be the. You know, I, I couldn't do that full time as a teacher. I couldn't be that person because they would walk all over me. So it's fun to get to be the fun person and then just take off. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I get the feeling and I like to think that because you're sort of explosively coming into their world and then goodbye. Uh, right. They don't, they don't forget you. Right. It's like, oh, remember the day that lady came? And, wow. Right. I, I, I hope so. I, I've met kids many years later who remember me from years before. And and a lot of them, it's not even me. It's like a it's a specific animal that I showed them. It'll be like, I remember that boa constrictor named Tidbit and you let me hold him and he wrapped around my arm. And I remember that. So a lot of times it's, it's an animal that really makes that connection and that they remember. And that's even, that's way, even way more rewarding because you know, they're going to, they're going to tell their, their grandkids about that old snake they held, you know, many years ago, <laughs> yeah. or at least I hope. It was 30 feet long. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always <laughs> way bigger than it, for sure. You yeah. know, I've had that too. I've had kids like see me three or four years later and they'll, they'll be like, I remember holding George. He was like, George is my corn snake. 
he was like 20 feet long. And I'm like, no, this is George. He's like, no, nope, no, nope, George was way bigger than this. I'm like, well, this is the same snake. So, yeah. It must be human nature. I think so. I think so. Unless you're an engineer. My husband's the exact opposite. He under-exaggerates everything. So, ah. Yeah. As one does as an engineer, yeah. I think so, yeah. He'll be like, I saw a snake uh, on the, the bike trail today, and he'll tell me what it was. I'm like, no, it has to be way bigger than that. But, yeah, engineers. <laughs> you don't want engineers to exaggerate anything. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> That's true. As somebody who has done educational outreach, you know, I used to drag my butt to classrooms and stuff, and uh, it just, you know, for Herp Love and all that, and I always picked up on certain patterns with with the kids, with the younger kids. You go in, you do second or third grade or whatever, which is a good age to get, you know. But uh, before we started the show, I would say, and uh, I tell you what, I want to hear all your stories, but I want to hear them at the end. <laughs> right. Okay, so if you've got a story, right. tell it to me at the end, because the kids would all, they'd raise their hand and they'd say, one time. At the lake, we thought <laughs> lake, yeah. you know, and, right, and so right, you right. have like 50 kids tell you near their little, their little story and they want to tell you, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But mm-hmm. if they interrupted me during the show, right, it, it sort of broke the whole flow, you know. Sure. So. That, that is definitely a tough one. As educators, we have to deal with that a lot. And it really helps if there's a teacher saying beforehand, now, do you remember what a story is and what a question is? And then, you know, but I, I do, I, I, I do take that as a, um, uh, I guess a bonus because when a, when a child's doing that, it's, it's, they're connecting, they're so in the moment and they're connecting with you so much. They just, you know, they want to share with you so badly that they're into what you're talking about. And so, at least I would much rather have that than, you know, somebody sleeping in the back row. So, yeah. you yeah. know, I, I do take it as a bonus, but it, it can be, it can be a little discouraging sometimes. <laughs> so, especially <laughs> yeah. if you, if you let someone tell their story, cause then the kid next to them wants to tell their story and it goes on yep. and on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you rely on the teacher would come in and say, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do tell the kids, too, every time they start that, I go, listen, I would love to just sit here and hear all your stories because I know what I'm going to tell you guys. I've seen all these animals. I just want to sit here and listen to you. But then you're not going to get to see anything that I've brought today. So wow. and that kind of helps. <laughs> do you have a favorite age group you like to work with? I like every age group for different reasons, but I will be honest with you, Mike, I love seniors. I love senior groups. I love going to uh, senior homes. Um, I I think I was really, I guess, shocked a little bit at how receptive that population is to the reptiles and amphibians. I think I had a lot of preconceived notions like, you know, this 95-year-old woman in her wheelchair totally, ah, get that away from me. I don't want to see that snake. Um, but it's not like that at all with that. Oh, really? That, not at all. You wouldn't believe it. I think I think they've just, at that point in their lives, nothing's phasing them anymore. <laughs> or yeah. maybe maybe they're just so ready for some type of entertainment that, um, you know, they're just more curious. But I, I absolutely love that that group because they also have some really cool stories. I mean, those are the stories. You know, we were just talking about the stories. 
those are the stories where you're like, no way. I mean, some of the stuff they've seen and things that, you know, things that are completely gone now, you know, the Chicago right. area when I was a kid, you know, they used to go out and find this, this, and this, and this, this. I mean, there's salamander tallies you would not believe. <laughs> like, wow, you yeah. saw that here? And, you know, of course, a yeah. lot of them um, will, will say they, well, I remember all those timber rattlers on the, the farm. Now, again, we don't know for sure if that's what they were seeing. But, yeah. you know, historically, who knows? Yeah. And it's their story. So It is. And again, they're sharing. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're connecting. Yeah. yeah. We've connected. Yeah. And yeah, I love, 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 love their stories. They're really fun. So I love that group. But I love every age group for different reasons. I think um, you know, the little ones, it's super easy to just get them really excited. And uh I think probably fourth and fifth grade though are the absolute best because they're still uh, young enough to be just totally themselves and just be super into it, but they're old enough that you can really cover more ground, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas you start getting into junior high, and then and and people are like, ah, junior high kids, and they're they're honestly they're really great too. Um, I think a lot of times it's how you go in there. Again, I go in there and I'm the grandma. I'm having fun with them, and they they get that right away. Um, but sometimes they. You know, the fourth and fifth graders, there's none of that kind of sexist kind of view with reptiles and amphibians. Like a fourth grade girl is just as into snakes and frogs as a fourth grade boy. There is absolutely no difference. Uh, But when you get to like seventh and eighth grade, the girls start screaming and start running to the back of the room. Uh, And that that's a that's a little bit annoying um, wow. because they've learned, I think, I think they've learned that reaction. Like this will get me a, you know, this reaction will get me attention. Um, so. Wow. So you're getting a peek into gender stereotypes as they totally. develop. You, it, it's totally true. Uh, this job has so much psychology in it. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy, wow. but yeah, you, you don't with, with kids like fifth grade and under, there's just as many boys afraid of snakes as there are girls. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There, that yeah. is all completely taught response. 100%. I believe it. And I know there's studies that will back that up, but from just what I've seen, 100% that is completely a taught response. So uh, I always liked it when I, I would be at an expo or wherever I was and I was, you know, doing the, doing the work and I would give, you know, some, eight-year-old a corn snake and then the mom or the dad would react in some negative way or, or whatever you know, right and then the kid would look up at them like what the hell's wrong with you you know exactly. it's, it's funny because you're, the kids operating as their own entity they're with their parents but they're, they're mm-hmm. looking at their parents like are you nuts right you know, it's, it's this that uh you always think of kids as being sort of joined to parents by this ma- magnetic force and stuff but they you know they're Sure. Independent entities with their own thoughts and feelings on the matter. And sometimes their parents just are acting weird. Right. (laughs) Right. And I, and I like it when the, uh, the kid at that point, you know, I'll be like, Oh, well you, you seem to really know a lot more about snakes than your parents, you know, because Um, you're not afraid. And then they kind of get this big, Oh, this big, you know, puffed up attitude. And it's true. I mean, it is true. If they're acting like that over their parents, they are smarter at that point, in my my opinion. Um, But that, that helps, you know, I think that helps the kid. 
They're like, oh, I'm the one that knows more in this situation. It's always nice to know more than your parents and then be told that by another adult. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I'll totally, I'll yeah. totally play that card if I see it. That's awesome. And you get to, you get to pull strings and you get to, you know, you play those people like a fiddle sometimes, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Like I said, it's so much psychology in this. It really is so much. Well, one of the things that education, any kind of education has a problem with is getting feedback on effectiveness. And what do you think about that? It's hard for you to tell how, you know, what is the extent of this work? Uh, in education and stuff. And I mean, do you rely on people coming back to you later? Uh, what do you think is going on there? Uh, I think it's, for me anyway, it's really easy to read my audience. Um, okay. If I'm in, now, if I'm live, this whole virtual world I've been in the last, uh, you know, last since the pandemic started has been inc- incredibly hard for me. Because I am staring at myself on the monitor and I can't hear anybody. I can't see anybody. And I rely on all that in person to tell me whether I need to move on or stick around on this topic. Um, But, you know, body language and and, um, people's reactions always give me a clue. I I think um, teachers rehiring me is always a good sign that I've done something well. Uh, and most of my teachers are repeats. You know, I, I if I can get into a, a school, it's almost um, guaranteed I'll be in again. Uh, so that's good. Um, and then I've had I've had people email me and uh, send me things at my to my PO box uh, that you know you're just like wow things that really touched me. I I had a woman that she was middle aged woman, absolutely deathly afraid of snakes. Her daughter was at the program, but she wanted, she didn't even want to be in the room. So she stayed outside. This was at a library. She was outside. And towards, at the end of the program, I always let people come up and, and, um, you know, touch animals. Sometimes they hold snakes or they get to see things up close. And, you know, the rest of the people were kind of filtering out and she made her mom come into that room. And the mom just slowly but surely made her way up. It took quite a while, but we finally got her up. And then she was even touching a snake. Um, about, about two weeks later, she had mailed me a thank you card and this little crocheted hat for my snake and, <laughs> and for my PO box. She's like, I just think, cause I do put some hats sometimes on my reptiles just to help people who have fears. Hats on reptiles work for people like that. And yeah. I know, I know that the, uh, the true herpetologists, sometimes they're like, oh my, what is this hats on reptiles? But if we're working with the general public and we w- we don't want that animal to get squished out in the yard, the next one they see, then I'm going to put a hat on something. And it works. So anyway, hats on snakes don't really work, as you can imagine. Uh, they right. don't they don't keep them on. But she uh, she still crocheted a little hat for my snake. She night. took the time. <laughs> she did to crochet you know? a hat. A hat, and I and he yeah. still has that hat. So <laughs> I, I think. That's that's your feedback, right? It's like, wow, I sure. I, uh, I reached that person, and and maybe they're a little bit different now. I changed them a little bit. Yeah, I I, I hope so. I do. Um, I've I've met uh, kids along the way that I've helped uh, help get into get into this uh, this world a little bit, and uh, I've let a lot of kids volunteer with me, uh, and that 
I, you know, that, that always comes back tenfold because they're always so happy about it. And I think they really gain a lot through that. Like I said earlier, kids that, that get to be the authority, especially in front of adults, that sticks with them, you know, and that, that, um, that only pushes their interests further, I think. Yeah. It reminds me, it just reminded me of, a uh, uh, many years ago, I did a, spoke to a Cub Scout group, Cub, a number of Cub Scout packs all at once. And, uh, one of my, one of my friends, Tracy Mitchell, who listens to the show, his, his son was one of the scouts. And so, you know, I got up there on the stage and I'm like, I'm going to need a real expert up here. And, uh, so I had had his son come up and and help hold the snakes and, and do all the you'd be the prop man for the show, you know, and he got he got to be the big snake handling dude. So you bet. I thought that was fun. You got a kick yeah. out of that. <laughs> I, I've had uh I actually had a, a a mom contact me. She hired me for her daughter's class. They had just moved to a new classroom or new school, and her daughter had a had a speech impediment. She was struggling a little bit making friends. Uh, loved reptiles, was totally into that. And she, she hired me to come to the class. And, and the, of course, the teacher was in on it. And I pulled her up and she was my helper the whole time. And uh, I, I uh, got feedback from mom that that was very helpful. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, that's, that was really cool. Yeah, you got to do a little extra, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Probably Pretty makes cool. a big difference. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. I would love to um, someday, like, you know, the next Steve Irwin or female Steve Irwin <laughs> would be like, <laughs> I went to this reptile show once. Her name was the Frog Lady. <laughs> you know, those are my dreams, of course. But Yeah. 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 You know, end up in, in the book credits or something, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. It'd be so awesome. Right. You know, I, Mike, I have to say, I have a little imposter syndrome um, amongst the herp community, especially, you know, I go, go down to Southern Illinois with Mike DeLugach and, and all those guys. And they're just brilliant. And, and people like you, Mike, like, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just a red foot or a yellow foot and I'm, I'm texting you pictures or emailing you pictures. And so, when when people say I'm a part of this world, first of all, I'm honored. But second of all, I, I don't feel like I'm at that level. And I, I, I have to take my gains through um, knowing that I'm taking what all you experts and geniuses are finding out and, and learning. And then I can kind of assimilate it and break it down to the masses. So that's that's yeah. kind of where I feel like my job is. But but often when I'm with, with you guys at I don't feel like I belong. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna beg to differ with you, and I I want to I want you to remember something. Everybody out there who listens to this show that has ever drug a bunch of animals to a classroom <laughs> or a Cub Scout meeting or whatever understands what you do and appreciates it because that's it's there's an art and science to that, and it's hard to do, and a lot of people have done it because they. That's what you do, right? You give something right. back, and sure. And a lot of people do it, and and uh, it's kind of it can be kind of a drag, and some people can't sustain it because it's hard to do. But you've managed to work out a way of doing it, uh, and you know, make a little money off of it, and you know, support your sure. family and whatnot, uh, right. which which is admirable too. So, don't ever feel like you're not part of this community because sure. in, in my mind, you most certainly are. So. 
there's definitely an art to teaching and interpretation. There's a fine line between being an entertainer and an educator. And, you know, my job's both completely both. Um, But yeah, I, I, I do feel like I am good at that part of the job. I'm definitely good at it. And I'm very, very lucky that again, all these steps have just led along the way for me to end up where I'm at. So I am very fortunate for sure. Well, when you started out as a frog lady, I, I mean, you you weren't uh, you weren't coming into it cold. You you've had all this time working in nature centers and doing interpretive work, and sure. And so you've just taken that whole gig on the road, and perhaps it, you've learned some things along the way, obviously. But still, it you you had all the basics you needed to to apply there when when sure. you struck out on your own, right? Right, and uh, through the years, I think I've well. I had a college professor, Dr. Jim Pease, shout out to my, my favorite college professor, who was our interpreter professor. And he was amazing. He just was fantastic. And I just, just wanted to be him. You know, he, he would take us out in the woods and call in barn owls. They'd be right above our head. Like everything this guy did, he'd, he'd unfold a map to show us where we were going and a cricket frog, which it would be like, November, why is a cricket frog jumping on this map? You know, like he just had that magic. And and I, I learned a lot from him. I also learn a lot from people who are not good at it because you see, it's, it's hard to learn from people that are good at stuff, right? Because it's hard to see how are they making it so easy? How are they doing it? But you really, when someone's bad at it or, you know, just losing their audience, it's easy to pick out where they're going wrong. And I think I've learned more from bad interpreters than good, if that makes sense. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. if you, you know, if you can't be a shining example or <laughs> a shining, if you can't be a shining influence, you can at least be a bad example. Right. Right. So right, right. Exactly. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I have to, I'm going to impart my one nugget of wisdom about this education business that uh, I picked up and a couple of my herb friends were like amazed when they saw me do it. But uh, we were at a, some campground and agreed to give a talk to some group of kids that are campers, kid campers and their kids. And we had a turtle and a slider and uh, letting the kids hold the slider and pass it around. And my thing is that when I give a kid a turtle, they don't know what to do or how to touch it or hold it. I'm like, I just tell them, hold it like a hamburger. And they instantly get it. And they know, oh, okay. And then they hold it up and it looks like they've got a big whopper, you know. Right. One hand here and one hand on the other side. Perfect interpretation. Yeah. And they totally get it. And then they pass it to the next kid. And what do they say to the next kid? You have to hold Hold it it. like a hamburger. (laughs) That's that's perfect interpretation. Relating to your audience. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I I, I can't claim to be an expert, but but it was fun to, to pick something up and and see kids uh, relate to it and run with it, you know. Exactly. That's great. A lot of uh, tweaking the pleasure centers of the brain there. So I, th- I think I get why, why you do some of this stuff. So Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely a, kind of a, a I, I don't know if a high is the right word to say, but, you know, you leave a program and you know you did a good job. People were really into it and, you know, they're, they kids are saying, I'm going to go get a book on this, or I'm going to go Google this now. And, you know, you, you feel good. There's definitely a, a sense of, you know, I'll be driving home and I'll, I'll feel good. I feel like I did a good job, you know? Yeah. So, 
um, you know, there's been some drives home too, where I'm like, Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> Luckily yeah. those aren't as common, but. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you drag critters around at crap everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your car's all stinky. And... <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 My son can tell you some great stories about having his head out the window, but the heater's <laughs> blasting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, it's kind of been high, kind of hard for you during the pandemic. I know this uh, because you haven't been able to get out and do your your thing. But I, uh, with the the coming vaccinations and things like that, that uh, perhaps twenty twenty one you'll be able to return to. Let's hope. Um, I'm hoping this summer things will start looking better. You know, my yeah. summer is like just I could work every day in the summer, no problem. Uh-huh. I mean, just so many. Uh, daycares and summer camps and uh, libraries that have me in. And, you know, this summer I had like three virtual programs and, and one outside program with a mask, which actually I think was worse (laughs) than, than a virtual program at that point. Like no, no facial expressions and trying to shout through a mask and everyone's so far away. And it was awful. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not no good. I I did see a couple of the YouTube videos that you put out uh, in the interim. I know you tried to make something work there, and I really I really enjoyed them. It was really entertaining, and so I, I kind of I got the whole. I haven't been to one of your talks in person, but uh, I got the whole flavor of what you do. So good. Uh, I got a kick out of that. Yeah, I hope it comes through that I love what I do. Um, it's it, again, it's it's hard when you're by yourself and like videoing yourself, you know, and trying to be, cause I really rely on that audience energy and, you know, the banter yeah. and making jokes. And it's just, you know, when you're by yourself in your basement, you know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, like, it's like, oh. like me right now. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just feel kind of silly, you know, like when yeah. I'm just trying to make it fun by myself. I don't know. Yeah, I understand when I'm down here recording my intros and outros, it's like, uh, really need to somehow get the energy that goes right. with, like with this program, you know, it's like, oh boy. Uh, yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. It's the same way and when no one's there. I, I will say some of the virtual programs I've done, um, it's it's actually been kind of a flip-flop. You know, when I, when I do a program for a library and let's say there's 200 people in this library, when I have a red-eyed tree frog to show people, I mean, how do you show 200 people a red-eyed tree frog? It's really difficult. I always invite people up afterwards and they can see them in their viewing enclosures after. But that's tough when you're talking to 200 people and you're like, look at their beautiful blue and yellow sides. Yeah. You know, the front row maybe gets to see it. Well, the virtual programs, you know, it's 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 been amazing with the little stuff. Um, ah. Frogs are right up there on camera and they're seeing things that I can't normally point out. So that's, that's been a total bonus. Now trying to get my sulcata up in front of my webcam, <laughs> you know, whereas that's like the showstopper at a library. You bring your sulcata yeah. out and it's like, Whoa, and I can barely hold them up. And now it's like, Oh my gosh, I got to try to get way back. It's just, it, so it's been like a flip flop kind of, of, uh, what animals make a, a better show animal. So that's been interesting. Yeah. Well, we adapt and we move forward. We do. We do. Yeah. 
And I've had a little bit of time off. I mean, honestly, it's exhausting work. <laughs> it's physically yeah. exhausting, you know, when you're loading up 20 animals up and down stairs, in and out, up and down, all around, you know, and then you got to bring home everyone, and clean everyone, and clean mm-hmm. the their travel bins. And um, it's been kind of nice to have a break, you know? Yeah. So... And now I'm fortunate that my husband still has his job, so I can, yeah. can take leisure in that. You know, there are people who have my job who are literally, you know, don't know what to do right now, how to make money. So um, I've been fortunate. I've been very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I feel feel bad for all those folks that uh, have nothing else going on. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but I, I hope you get back to it soon. So I'm sure hopefully. we will. We'll be like, remember that year when we didn't do anything? <laughs> remember that time there was a pandemic? Uh, <laughs> It'll be just a little blip. It'll be a chapter in the book. Hey, you know, one of the best things about this, talking about the relating, um, you know how we carry our snakes and snake bags. Anybody who has any kind of love for an animal but doesn't know anything really about herpetology um, or transporting snakes at my programs. I'm like, Oh, why is he in that bag? That's, Oh, can he breathe in there? Oh. Ah. And now all I have to do is say, can you breathe through your mask? It's the exact <laughs> same way. I mean, for the rest, for the rest of my job, my career now, I'll be like, remember during the pandemic when you had to wear a mask Plus, snakes have such, you know, I'd always like, snakes have such a low respiratory rate, and they don't, you know, it's cloth, you can breathe through, it's like under your your covers at night, you know, it was always so hard to get people to understand that, and now I'm like, it's just like wearing a mask. (laughs) So, (laughs) that's that's one bonus, that's one bonus, because every program someone asks, why is your snake in a bag? (laughs) Like, because I don't want him lost in my car. (laughs) Well, if you get one takeaway from it, right? The pandemic, there it right. is. Yes, <laughs> and I do love when people ask me because they're concerned yeah. about a snake. That's I'm never ever yeah. upset, you know. But I've had people be like, "Why is your snake in a bag?" and they're upset, and I'm like, "I'm so glad you asked. Here's yeah. why." So it's protecting him in the long run. Well, I'll bet you can't wait to spring that on somebody. Right, right. <laughs> I cannot wait. Actually, I've already done it on virtuals because I bring all the animals wow. up, up into my, you know, everything's close to the router up here. I don't do them down in the basement. It's the lighting's bad. So I've, you know, they've seen me pull snakes out. They're like, why are the snakes in a bag? Can't they breathe? And so I've got to use it. So that's a bonus. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, number one, telling us what you're up to. Number two, thoroughly entertaining me today. So uh, job well done. (laughs) So glad I was entertaining. Like I said, I'm thrilled to be on this show with all all the masters, (laughs) all the Pingletons and the amazing, ah, amazing Herpers. I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like, like I said, should I be in this group? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As I said, I want to hit the whole spectrum of of people who are involved, and you that that includes you. That's awesome. Well, you you have made my day. Okay. Well, thanks again, Deb. And uh, I, in the show notes, I will put a link to your you have a frog lady website and things like that that I we can do. link to. 
Okay, sure. we'll make sure we yeah. get that in the show notes, and so people can uh, uh, see what you're up to then, or what you're going to be up to in the future again. Sure. I should say. Yes. Right. Sounds very great. good. Thanks awesome. again, Deb. Thank you so much. That's it for episode 28. I want to thank my guests, Ryan Borgman, Marissa Ishimatsu, Josh Ems, Kamel Shapansky, and Deb Crone. I really enjoyed talking with all of you. I thought it was a, a great series. And just a reminder that I will be taking a short break and we'll talk to you all again just after New Year's. So I wish you all a wonderful, safe, and healthy holiday. And I want to say thanks once again to all of my awesome Patreon supporters. And if you would like to contribute a few bucks to keep the show running, you can visit patreon.com slash so much pingle. That's all one word. And before I go, I want to remind everyone that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much And uh, hey, you can also join the so much pingle Facebook group to follow along with the show and interact with me and some of our guests. And along with all of that, you can also contact me directly at so muchpingle at gmail.com. And of course, I would love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take really good care of yourselves and, and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>